1: welcome to episode 273 with my guest melissa broder today's episode is brought to you by calm.com relax with calm a mindfulness meditation app that brings clarity and peace of mind into your life the app offers guided meditations soothing nature scenes and ambient sounds to ease your way through the day Whether you experience anxiety, have trouble sleeping, or just need quality relaxation time, you'll find sessions to help you. Visit calm.com slash mental illness podcast to download the app today for free. That's calm.com slash mental illness podcast. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle you can follow me at. Uh, Go check out the website. Fill out a survey. Maybe we'll read your survey on the show. You can also browse the forum, read blogs and guest blogs, support the show, buy a coffee mug, a t-shirt, or just go there and fuck yourself. Um, I want to read a couple of uh, Struggle in a Sentence surveys. This one was filled out by Kitty Friend, and about her depression, she writes, I feel like a piece of paper that is getting crumpled tighter and tighter, and the only solution is to light it on fire. Uh, About her alcoholism and drug addiction, I drink because it's the only way I feel like everyone else. Uh, This woman calls herself Insurance Network Coverage Size Queen, and uh, she struggles with, among other things, PTSD, an autoimmune disorder, and a mother uh, who is abusive. And snapshot from her life, she writes, waking up tired now from recurring nightmares, remembering my mother's Munchausen by proxy every morning as I swallow the same medication she's taken for 45 years, EMDR twice a week to process where I dissociated, my mother's shrink shopping with male psychologists so so she could talk for my whole session about how stressed she was with having a depressed daughter. And then under the comments to make the podcast better, she requests, um, episodes that deal with people who have chronic, uh, health issues. Uh, there's three that you can check out. Uh, the one with Pamela Martin, uh, the one with Terry Hartman, and the one with Glenn Rockowitz. Those are all great, um, great episodes. And the, the first two of those are about, uh, autoimmune disorders, the ones with, uh, episodes with Pam and, uh, and Terry. Uh, let's see. This is, uh, Filled out by a woman who calls herself Anana Mouse and about her ADD. She writes, uh, ADHD is constantly having the most interesting thoughts except when asked to share them. That is a great one. Double Depresso writes about her depression. Every time someone says life is too short, I think it's not short enough for me. A snapshot from her life, riding the New York City subway during rush hour, crammed in a car with hundreds of people, and quietly crying because I feel so alone. That is that is so heartbreaking, and uh, I think so many of us know that, know that feeling of being alone in a room full of people and um, sending you a hug. I'm sure you've seen it uh, on the news, but this last week there's been a rash of anti-LGBT bills being passed. Um, mostly in Southern states, and it 's so disheartening to see how much intolerance there still is in the world, how much fear, how much ignorance um, and you know one of the things I set out to do when I started this podcast was to avoid politics wherever possible. but when there 's a subject like this, even though it 's taking place in the political arena, this to me is not a political issue; this is about human dignity. And um, I posted something on Facebook essentially saying legislators who are passing all these anti-LGBT laws, uh, just know that future documentaries uh, are always going to put foreboding music underneath your stupid face. And uh, somebody I went to college with uh, whose uh, politics or view of LGBT people is different than mine. Uh, wrote that since when did men using men's restrooms and women using women's restrooms become wrong? Uh, I tried not to freak out, took a deep breath, and responded uh, diplomatically that gender isn't a binary thing, it's a continuum. And maybe instead of looking down on people who aren't binary, you should thank God that you aren't somebody who has to deal with people like you who find it inconvenient or disgusting to take the time to learn about people who are different than themselves and I think there's this terrible cycle where people like this guy can't have empathy for an LGBT person because they don't know one and the reason they don't know one is because they make it an unsafe environment for that person to reveal that they're an LGBT person and so It's this terrible cycle where people aren't getting to know each other, and to me, that's where that's where it all changes: is learning to connect uh, to each other. And and, you know, the last thing I want to say is, people like this guy—you have been on the wrong side of history forever. You were wrong about slavery. You were wrong about women voting. You were wrong about integration, civil rights, gay marriage. At what point are you going to realize that maybe it's you? Maybe you're the one with the problem. And maybe it's time, instead of spending your time trying to deny the rights of people whose lives don't really affect you, Maybe it's time you looked at why you are so afraid of people that are different than you. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job... Mental illness. ...is convincing myself...
0: I'm so alone.
1: ...why... Hypervigilant. ...I should try to do something. I
2: hate
0: my kids seeing me like that. I just... Imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair.
1: They warp reality.
2: Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself?
1: I go back to
0: bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house.
2: I was able to get myself out of
0: Scientology. Could have gone to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. And you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house. And you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it, because a lot of good things have happened since then.
1: That, that option just evaporated, and I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman, who is not right for me anyway, <laughs> wants. I'm here with Melissa Broder, who is... Uh, She's an author and she has written a book uh called So Sad Today which is also her Twitter uh handle and she has written a book that has I I have difficulty finding words to describe how beautiful and fucked up and funny and dark and sad and uh brilliant your 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 book is it just um you you have a voice in thank you. in literature that uh, I hope i get to read more of and uh, I want to thank Lisa Goich uh, who um is a friend of mine who said you have to get this woman on your podcast and she just sent me a paragraph from your book and I read it and I went oh yeah I think she'd be a good guest can you read the the paragraph that I'm talking about sure Can you uh, scoot into the mic a little bit closer? I
2: sure
1: can. Close is is good.
2: Okay, cool. The saddest part of fucking you in that motel room was not when you took a shit in the bathroom before we fucked, and not when I had to put on Tupac to mask the sound of you shitting, and not when the smell leaked out into the hotel room, and not when I licked behind your balls after you took that shit, even though you hadn't showered. I don't care, to be honest. I think that germs have kept me healthy and strong my whole life. It was only when I told my friend the story that she called me out on it, and I realized my disregard for my own personal health might be indicative of a deep self-hatred. But when I went into the bathroom an hour after you took the shit and there were still shit marks in the toilet bowl, and I thought about how if it had been me who took the shit, I would have absolutely gone into that toilet bowl with my bare hand and a piece of toilet paper and wiped it down, and how maybe this particular brand of self-consciousness regarding shit marks is a developmental variation in response to the fundamental differences in expectations placed upon men versus women in this society, though that's probably too reductive. A love story." (laughs)
1: The whole uh, that whole chapter um, is themed your your love life. Can you read some from from that chapter?
0: Sure. So
2: this is the intro to it. Okay. So the chapter is called Help Me Not Be a Human Being. And I said, my sexual preference is me actually escaping me. In every obsession, internet obsession, make out, fuck, and actual relationship, I've embraced my fellow man and woman on the highway of low self-esteem in the hope that I could be convinced of my own okayness and or disappear. What I have sought in love is a reprieve from the itch of consciousness to transcend myself and my human imperfections, but this has yet to happen. What has happened instead is a lifetime of fictional love stories. Fiction in that I have perceived every new experience through the veil of my own insecurities. Here are some of those stories. I'm in love with you, and you don't want anything to do with me, so I think we can make this work. A love story. (laughs) That's not the clitoris. A love story. (laughs) The anxiety of the sexual act is my sexual act. A love story. I never liked myself. A love story. Sorry I fell asleep while you were going down on me. A love story. I wanted to build a fire with our shadow selves and burn there or be erased by the narcotic of limerence when I turned your face into a fire. A love story. I don't even masturbate to you anymore because it's too sad.
1: That one is so heavy.
2: A love story. My therapist calls you pancake ass. Pancake ass actually just recently sexted me, and I had to shut him down. Oh, really? It was so hard to shut him down. Uh,
1: was it because he was being uh, abusive, or he's just addictive for you? No,
2: because well, because I'm monogamous now. And when we when Pancake and Ass and I used to engage, I was non monogamous. Um, so I've been monogamous for two years, um, and so but Pancake ass, but even if monogamous or non monogamous pancake ass always left me wanting more like anytime we'd get into sexting the next day i just felt shame because it was like he would then just disappear and also um he i'm sober and he would always be drunk when he'd sext me Mm. so like i was like hey you know i lead i lead with my corsage you know what i'm saying like i'm like leading with like Oh, he, you know, this is love. Like, cause he, he sexed it in like a longing way. Um, but in reality, he was just like drunk and like kind of, you know, hoping I would probably send him a tit or whatever. So, which I did, of course. But so recently he tried to like start it up again and it like took every fiber in my body. I don't even know. I don't even know what it was in me that shut it down like it wasn't me doing the shutting down you know what i'm saying it was like something some part of me that like is like smarter healthier and like not as self-destructive as i am just like took over and um it's kind of sad when you when you i don't know if you ever have experienced this but when you behave in like a quote-unquote healthy way there can be like a a mourning
1: absolutely and a sadness for what you used to settle for and how you used to disrespect yourself
2: totally yeah Yeah, there's like it like i'm like oh i can't believe that i used to think that this was love but then also it's like there's a sadness regarding like oh man like i don't get to get high on that anymore either like another thing i can't get high on anymore you know and and it's like it's right here
1: it's right here the thing i think about though is um like, if I would go on a porn binge, uh, the empty, hungover feeling I would have when I would close my laptop or wake up the next day, because it had been six hours of just bathing my brain in those chemicals, and then the next day, there's none of it. Mm. It must be how people feel the day after they take ecstasy.
2: Definitely. Yeah, I mean, that that's... I actually think I did think... All the way through to like what would happen after the sexting and like that longing that it would stir up in me, and not even for him. Like pancake ass is like no prize, you know. If you if you take a bunch of people and you um have them all show you like a picture and or you you meet the person they're longing for. Like if I do this with my female friends especially, and I look at like every single person they're longing, for, we all look at each other's people we're longing for. They're like that guy, like that's the person. It's kind of like you know if you. If you knew who, like, love songs, like, all the, like, so many great love songs are about, you'd be like, bro, like that, bro? You know? Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's never really, you know, it's not the person, it's the candy shell we give them. Porn is, porn is different though. How so? Well, I don't, porn for me, um, it has, it's quote unquote not a problem, but I mean, who knows? Life is long. And, um, and it's not a problem in the sense of like getting, like, watching hour after hour, it's, if, if it's a problem for me, it's a problem in the sense of, I get really, I, like, want to see all the dicks. Like, I'm just, like, I, why can't I have just, like, a bouquet of all these, like, youthful dicks, like, at my disposal? Why can't um, real life, be like this because I like to watch sort of those female friendly porns that mm-hmm. they call you know, where there's a lot of like romance and couples in sure. love.
1: It's not just a misdelivered pizza.
2: <laughs> exactly. Or like um or it's not just like, you know, like the the hole in the dick. You right. know, it's like um there doesn't have to be a massive storyline, but it's like, you know, a guy like A guy fucking his old babysitter, you know, and like he's longed for her for many years. And like, I'm the babysitter and he like has, you know, like then I become the babysitter and he has longed for me. So it's that it's that longing. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that really that that is hard for me to come down.
1: But is there also because I've never heard a a woman express that before. Maybe I've just never heard it. But um, about the visual desiring to see Dick, Mm. is that a thing
2: well it's weird because when i was in my early 20s like or actually even in my late teens like when i first became sexually active in my teens like dick was fine it was kind of weird like i didn't really fantasize about it like it didn't it didn't really like it was like neither here nor there like i thought boys were cute i liked boys but like i wasn't like very dick centered.
1: might as well have been an ear
2: yeah like it was fine you know Mm -hmm. and it felt good sometimes but um And then, like, I really thought I was a lesbian for a long time because I was much more fascinated by pussy. I was like, Mm -hmm. pussy is the thing. But it's weird. I definitely think I'm, like, a true bisexual because over time I felt just a lot of shifts in my sexuality. And I wonder if it's hormonal, like, my body being like, please make a baby, even though I'm like, please don't make a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that, like, the past, I'd say the past, like, four or five years, I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. Like, I'm just that, like... I'm, it's like a whole I mean I've been fucking them for a long time but it's like suddenly it's this whole new world
1: now you're talking about um sensorily uh, visually um uh wanting them to, to feel a sense of intimacy like in what in in what
2: context are you thinking about them visually like the amazement that there's such a range you know mm-hmm. like the, and like that and and also actually like something I've wanted for a long time is um like wanting to have my own like wanting to be someone with a big dick and like the, this sort of, um, which is false, but the, the, the thought that I have, um, which is that if I had like a big dick, then like I'd be okay. You know what I'm saying? It's like, same with like the way that when I drank, like it's like, as long as I have my alcohol, I'll be okay. You know, as long as I have my big dick, like the world can't quite touch you. And I actually just, I just wrote about this, um, a piece in New York Magazine. Um, it was supposed to be called Whose Cock Is It Anyway? But of course they turned it into clickbait and they like made it like how I found myself in a hot pink dildo or something like that. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. They clickbaited it out. But yeah, so for me, it's like all I can say is just like bouquet of dicks. Like I think a lot of it's about the visual, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Are you friends with Guy Branum? Do you know him? I don't. You would love. You guys would get along great. Really? Because what you just said sounds like something that Guy Guy would say, and he was a guest recently on the uh, on the show. Great guy. Um, uh, could you read some more of from course. the uh, love story?
2: It's not that I'm shutting you out when we have sex. I just need to fantasize about obese women caring for one another's vaginas to have a good orgasm, and you're a midsize man. A what? love story. <laughs>
1: What explain that one uh to me more is it is it that tenderness was lacking in that relationship with that guy?
2: um oh there have been so many guys um I think in terms of I mean these are all about different people, but I'd say there has been a consistent thread throughout a lot of my relationships with men where I mean with relationships actually with anyone sexual experiences with anyone where I really have to go into my head in order to have an orgasm I mean like that's like for me It doesn't matter how attracted I am to the person. It doesn't matter how beautiful the dick, like, it doesn't matter how exciting the pussy. Um, I have to be gone. I have to be pretty, pretty much sequestered in my head to really let go enough.
1: What are some of the favorites that, that take you to that place?
2: Well, um, as I wrote about in the book, Mm -hmm. um, vomit fat, I have a vomit fetish and it's funny because with the vomit fetish, I, this is like my oldest, my oldest um fantasy i I trace it back to when i was i think around three i didn't have a particularly nurturing mother um she was definitely just not a nurturer and um there was also a lot of issues in the house with food um in terms of like um me being restricted from eating lots eating various types of foods and you know, and when I was hungry,
1: and your mom was also obsessed with her own weight, which I think if she never even mentioned your weight or talked about your body, I think that's enough to imprint something upon a girl, yeah, uh, or a child. It that, is that you are not okay. So the world is not okay if you don't look a certain way.
2: Exactly. Like it's weird though. Cause she wasn't. She didn't talk as much about her obsession with her own weight, but her she had obese parents, so that it came in. It came in that door, like mm. her obsession about that, and also. So, but it was like I was born in a lower percent, uh, weight percent, uh, height percentile than my weight percentile. And so she was like, oh my God, she's gonna be fat and like everything is going to fall apart, you know? Like it's just catastrophe. So when I was three, I think I like threw up in my sleep or something like that. And she was very like nurturing to me. And I think somehow in my head, like I, like she bathed me and I think somehow I equated like, in order for me to be enough to receive pleasure, like you have, it's like there's something about being embraced in that sort of vile act. It's like the person must really love you, you know? And that's, and it's only really safe mm-hmm. emotionally, you know, to. Um, to let go like that that makes total
1: sense to me because I've had a, a sexual fantasy before where I'm masturbating in front of a woman and I'm telling her my deepest darkest sexual fantasy and she's um, accepting me for it. Uh, we also had a guest, uh, who was, who was on the show and, uh, he has a diaper fetish and he believes that it started. He has a very vivid memory of being, uh, a toddler and his younger brother was born and he suddenly wasn't getting the love and the attention and he remembers vividly watching his brother's diaper get changed and wanting to be in his brother's position at that point. So mm. it, it kind of took on this, uh, magical quality for him it became it's almost like you know wires get fused like two wires get fused together so that that makes perfect sense to me and I should know because I cooked chicken on basic cable for 16 years
2: (laughs) yeah no it's it's funny that you bring up the diaper actually well so I I was always like a vomit fetish loyalist like that was one way that I could one place I could go in my head that was just like an immediate like Mm -hmm. you know I knew that I mean it still takes me quite a while I always joke I'm like it takes me you know 48 hours to have an orgasm. But um, but it was like a it was a, cl- a clearer path to success um, you know when when I'm with someone else but it's funny that you brought up the diaper because recently I was like do I do I have any other sexual fetishes and oddly um i was like you know what i think i saw some images on tumblr of like girls wearing diapers and i was like this is kind of hot and like again it's that right like being nurtured um you know like you're sort of powerless and someone is like accepting you at your mo and loving you at your most powerless and um so i hadn't worn maxi pads in like years i'm like a tampons girl like mm-hmm. all the way but i was in a hotel on book tour and um um they i needed tampons and they brought up like tampons and maxi pads and i was like i like was joking because my husband's like more vanilla Mm -hmm. than i am and so he always finds these things very amusing and i was like could we like incorporate maxi pads into our (laughs) sex life it's sort of like a diaper i'm like i think it would be into that he's like if you want you know (laughs) it's like jesus christ so that could be on the agenda
1: well, I think it's awesome that you're open-minded about whatever it it is. How did you You know, let's save that. Let's save that for later. I want I want to go back um and talk about your your childhood okay. and um kind of the feelings of not enoughness. Mm. Uh is there anything that you like to read from the book that you think um highlights that or would you like to just talk about it?
2: I think I mean I think the whole book is about, and and my entire existence, is about feeling like I'm not enough. There is the first chapter of the book um, called How to Never Be Enough. And it's sort of, I don't know, the other day someone was saying, it's it's about...
1: I'm just going to adjust your mic. Just
2: sure. It's about this, um, it's kind of the premise is that like to bring a child into the world without their consent is um, unethical. <laughs> and like, do I believe this? I mean, I'm not an antinatalist. Somebody on Twitter the other day was like, you know you're an antinatalist. Come join us. And I was like, I don't want to be part of any groups. Like, I don't need a label, you know. But, like, it does, it is something I think about, you know. Um, And just, and and definitely one of the reasons why I don't have children, um, you know, is just like, who am I to say, you know, um, that someone wants to exist. And, who am I to say that life is a gift? Um, I mean, I'm actually not one to say that life is a gift. So, so in terms of, so it kind of goes stems from that and um, really um, explores the myriad of ways. Um, it's one of the only chapters in the book that is centered in childhood and just it, it examines sort of the a reluctance to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that chapter I get to be in charge of the narrative so I'm like definitely a cooler baby and a cooler child than I was like you know I'm the hero in that chapter so um when I'm afraid of death or when I'm um, picking my nose and eating it in class like that I make it a heroic act right like that we don't ask to be born so parents should just allow their kids basically to like you know self destruct and be a disaster because right. and and because it's parents fault right like I'm very right. anti parents I kids are fine but like parents I don't know. So, um, but then the book I think is like just, I mean, you could say the book is an exploration of all the ways, um, one or I, um, can feel like not enough in the world. And, and the sort of the ways that, um, the often misguided ways that we can try to feel like enough or be like, okay on the planet, you know, just like be okay in our own skin. And, they're not misguided when they start out. I mean no. like, right? Like drugs and alcohol work so well for a while. Yeah, they yeah. really I mean, like they're like a, an amazing gift. It's like, oh, this is how you do life. And then what's so sad about it is that they stop working. Um the way we need them to work. The way we need
1: them to work. Yeah. Right. You've been sober 11 years? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll get to uh that spiral. Right. One of your many spirals.
0: One
2: of my many spirals. Uh so
1: uh, talk some more about uh childhood what what was uh, what was dad like?
2: Um I love my dad very much. He's like um my dad was sort of like um he doesn't like conflict. So my dad would sort of like sneak me away for food like um I, I, there's an anecdote I told in the book about, um, I was given my first, like, giant cookie, um, by my dad. He, like, took me to this park and, like, gave me the cookie, um, and then, like, a Canadian goose stole that out of my hand. It was a very tragic, yeah, it was, like, a very tragic tale. Oh my God. But yeah, so it was sort of like all, my whole child, a lot of my childhood was about, like, stealing food, like, how can I get food? So it was like in nursery school, like stealing other kids lunches and then like trying to like, or like parts of their lunches and then trying to like trade them back, like parts of their own lunches for other parts of their lunches. I did
1: that too. You did? Yeah, because my mom was kind of a health nut, at Mm. least for the the time that I was born. And I could never have Twinkies or Ho-Hos or any of that stuff. So I would find a girl that I thought might have had a crush on me and I would trade my apple for you know, a Ding Dong or a Twinkie.
2: That's crafty yeah, it was
1: i was manipulative by the Food time i was in second love grade. oh yeah oh yeah i mean but go ahead you, you were you were talking
2: yeah well so mine was more of like a theft like an outright theft um or just like eating it in the coat room um and then my grandparents all of my grandparents were sort of knew that this was going on so like i'd go to their houses and um one of my father's mother would just like you know junk like so much junk food it was like a paradise Ah. you know it was just like candy and like ice cream and like everything carbohydrates you know because um and uh so it was or like my father would take my sister and i on vacation and like just pack the back seat of the car with like whatever we wanted you know and so that sort of became i think where I sort of figured out like, oh, like maybe pleasure needs to be like snuck or like reality is like dry and gross <laughs> and like reality sucks, but like you can have this fantasy world and like mm-hmm. you can find ways to get this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Secrets can be so delicious. Yeah. And yet so um, there's also a layer of shame in there. Yes. And, and, and I think sometimes too that that, for some people that might be, I don't know, maybe it's just society's view of sex, but uh, somehow uh, secrecy and shame can heighten uh, a, a sexual experience too. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a book written by a guy named Jack Morin called, um, fuck, I'm blanking out on the name of it, but it's all about um, what turns people on and, and, and the hurdles Mentally that people face in accepting what it is that turns them on. And he talks about the fact that having a reservation about what it is that you want to get off on isn't v- the very thing that heightens that experience that. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah.
2: That's interesting because you know okay so the vomit fetish chapter was terrifying for me to write in this book and um what were the th- the thoughts going through your head when you were writing it Well basically okay maybe it wasn't the writing that was as terrifying because I dictated a lot of the book and I kind of I didn't I I in a way that helps me to kind of have some separation from the fact that people were actually going to read it. Um, I dictated, I am a poet. So when I lived in New York, I used to write poetry on my phone on the subway. And then I moved to Los Angeles two and a half years ago. And I started dictating, um, so that I'm not like, uh, texting and driving mm-hmm. uh, or typing and driving. And the piece is starting longer. That's how I started writing these essays. So I dictated that essay. And, um, I think it wasn't until I started editing it, editing it that I was like, oh shit. Um, cause it's my oldest shame. It might not even be the most fucked up thing about me, but to me, it's like the darkest. And so, um, and then like sending it to my editor, I was so scared.
1: I can imagine. Yeah. I, was I can imagine. So
2: scared. And, um, and then right before, right when the galleys came out, like the drafts of the book, um, I, um, I one woman who was gonna be blurbing the book was like I skipped that chapter I just couldn't and I was like this is too much like I, no one needs to put... Why do you need to put that much truth about yourself into the world? Like, what's the point? Um, I personally feel like my confession, my confessional nature, it it's never been like... Let, I mean, every once in a while, I like to be punk. And, you know, if somebody's like very square and like a breeder, and they're just like annoying me with their closed-mindedness, I'll try to shock them. But not in a book like this, where I know that the people reading it are like, you know, often like are going to be like-minded souls. They don't need to be shocked. So it's just... So my Somebody
1: con- cannot get through your book without being a like-minded soul. Right. That's it's the thing. It's just too much for somebody that yes. is not on that wavelength.
2: Right, exactly. And for
1: those of us that are, it is it is like water in the desert.
2: Totally. Like I'm I'm like, wow, I can't even believe it like it managed to get published. But um um, and that's because I got the book deal before I wrote it.
1: So, um, <laughs> because you have a huge Twitter following.
2: Well, yeah, and they had been reading some of my essays. Some of oh, the essays okay. were written. Yeah. So, some okay. of my essays online. But yes, the t- huge Twitter following did not hurt. Mm. Um, and so, um, but so I I t- told my agent and editor, I was like, we need to pull this vomit fetish essay. I'm like, it's just too much, you know? And, um, um, which is which too muchery is kind of the inverse, but like the same thing of being not enough, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be too much for the world. I'm not enough for the world. It's the same shame. Mm-hmm. It's just like something I'm not right. So, um they were like, well, just think about it for a few days. So I like sent it to a couple friends, you know, and like, they wanted like minded they souls. wanted you
1: to keep it in. Yeah,
2: yeah, they did. and and I sent it to some like-minded souls and they were just like, you have to keep this in. so, uh when the so I was like okay and so when the book was coming out you know like my aunt came to a sign my parents are forbidden from reading it they're not allowed to read it and um and they're compliant mm-hmm. um but like my aunt picked up a copy and like anytime I think about someone I know from another part of life who doesn't know some of this stuff about <laughs> no, me like exactly. most people it's always vomit fetish chapter I'm always like if I could just like rip that out of their copy because that's the thing that I'm like this is the true freakiness and the thing with the vomish, vomit fetish is I've never even experienced it in real life. It's like, not, I don't even like vomit. Like, when people are, like, about to vomit, I am i get very emetophobic. I'm like, get away from me. Like, I, it doesn't turn me on in real life. It's only the fantasy. Um, and I think part of my metaphobia is a fear of, like, being found out. You know, like, I don't want to hang out too long with someone who's vomiting. Like, if in case they... They get something, they notice something is suspicious, but I, it's like, it really is just a fantasy. Like, I don't want to enact it in life.
1: Uh, you were saying in the book that, um, that you believe part of it is, is, um, not the actual vomit coming up, but like the burping be, before. Yeah. And, and seeing the person kind of surrender to this, yes. to this thing. Talk, talk more about that.
2: I think it's like, Somebody, I think it's about powerlessness and being like embraced at our most powerless and at our most like vile. Mm -hmm. You know, like if we can be embraced in that state, then like maybe we can be loved. And that's how I feel about confessional. I mean, I hate using the words confessional writing, but about like when I write confessionally, like as opposed to writing poetry, when I write like this, it's like the confession. It's like if I can put all this, if I can put this out in the world and like, I'm not that I think I'll be like killed or like stoned to death, but just if if I can put this out in the world and like it can be accepted, then like maybe I'm like Enough. Enough. Like yeah. maybe my if my worst shit is like okay, mm-hmm. then like maybe it's okay.
1: I remember hearing a story about a um an agent who was at a party and he went into the bathroom with some girl that he didn't even know and He took a shit while she blew him. And I remember thinking, how is that possible? How could somebody, how could somebody do that? And then the older I got, um, I, I started to realize on a certain level, that's, that's gotta be, um, if both parties are in, are all in, that has to be pretty intense because you couldn't be at, any more exposed no than that and the person couldn't be any more accepting than at that moment and um i thought about that since then and and it's weird how our what we think uh is gross or or Would never be something that would even remotely fit into our sexuality. Would be something that we would feel differently about years from now. Do you do you find that 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 your Mm. your sexuality evolves?
2: Well, well, first of all, regarding the shit, I have to say I can see how that would be. Like shit's not my thing. I'm not anti it, but it's Mm. just. But I can see how that's totally. You know, it's like, um, it's it's kind of about power in a way, right? It's like Mm. this person embraces me at my most like vile you know Mm. but i feel like that's not a pure that wouldn't be like my shit fantasy because i um there's a power dynamic there right like there's the agent and then Mm. there's the girl so the the girl may not be doing it completely like because she wants to or willingly like there's a power differential there yeah
1: i didn't think about that
2: yeah i think it would be interesting if it was the girl taking no we're just like two people who who weren't in any kind of like um powers where they can't benefit from one another in any other way mm-hmm. like it's just about like the pure acceptance
1: they're at an overloaded coachella toilet
2: exactly exactly <laughs> they're in a porta potty and like i just love you at your most vile <laughs> um but well so the evolution of fetish um i mean it's still with me but i found that like since I vocalized since I like since the vomit fetish essay has been out in the world it sort of is relates to what you were saying about that there there might be something about the our own self rejection of our fantasy that turns us on about it I read that essay um in New York at a reading in front of like my boss my former boss um mm-hmm. and like I mean my current boss is super cool um he but like I was And then, like, ever since then, like, the I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm, like, diapers. (laughs) Other diapers. I mean, compared to vomit fetish, I'm, like, I don't... I'll have any other fetish, and I will have no shame about it, you know? Like, to me, after having gone through life with the vomit fetish, for which there are, like, no clubs, you don't get, like, a rubber... Like, there's no, like, rubber bracelet that's, like, vomit strong, you know? Like, it's... You know, there's no, like, vomit fetish convention. Like, if you're into latex or you're into BDSM, like, you've got camaraderie. It's, like... With vomit fetish, I've got, like, me and, like, three random bros, like, on a chat board, like, who are probably, you know, they're usually in England. I feel like it's it's a little more popular there. But I would have
1: expected Germany, but...
2: Mm, well, actually, it's funny. A German magazine just asked to interview me today, so I wonder if that'll mm-hmm. that'll be... Yeah, you. Would th- um, I'm trying to think of where the best vomit porn that I've watched... Because, see, if you have a vomit fetish, really, any vomiting video is vomit porn. Like, there's certainly... Ones that include sex, but sometimes it's just like people vomiting and you're like, oh, I like the way he vomits, you know, and it becomes porn like you can get it on YouTube. So that is score one for the vomit fetish.
1: So have you have you ever masturbated while watching? Um, oh, vomit? of course. Okay.
2: Oh, have I ever? It's like my okay. bread and butter.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, because I wasn't sure, you, you know, you were talking about that when the actual vomiting comes, right. But You meant in real life, in the real person, life. there. So there exactly. has to be a w- layer of removal, exactly. for it to be safe for you to lose yourself in that fantasy.
2: Exactly. There, it's and also like I don't know if I, I don't really like the smell of vomit. You know, like I don't really like want it like all over me, or like, I mean, it's not like a very for me, it's not a very erotic smell. It's more mm. just like. So I guess it's auditory and visual, I guess, would be the thing.
1: What's the, you know, how everybody like in a porn will have a favorite part, you know, whether it's the, you know, seeing the the jizz or cutting to somebody's face as right. they're coming. What What is the the money?
2: The money shot? The, the money, money vomit? shot
1: and the, the vomit thing for you?
2: You know, it depends on the vomiter. It depends on the vomiter. B-
1: break it down for me
2: um
1: the way that there are are, uh, them trying to hold it back is that is that a sometimes
2: someone will be a solo vomiter like i'll watch like a guy like vomiting without a shirt on who's like clearly doing it for the likes from like the vomit fetish community you know Mm -hmm. like it's on youtube and there's like three german comments that are like Mm -hmm. you know hot um Mm -hmm. but so with him it's like it's like he's hot and he's vomiting like this is like wow you know this is amazing it's it's ever expanding it's ever expanding.
1: So, like watching the movie Jackass. Have you watched that? Because there's so steve, much vomit. steve O's
2: vomits so much. I, Steve-O doesn't turn me on as a vomiter. No. Some vomiters, I'm just like, eh, take it or leave it. I think because he is so... There's no shame in his vomiting. hmm And also because it's just like he does it so much that it's just like you're desensitized. You know? It's like you watch the same porn star in like 50 different porns and you're like, eh. Yeah, so yeah, it really it's it's very vomiter specific.
1: That's fascinating. Well, That's thank fascinating. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, getting back to the childhood and the and the the food thing. Yeah. Um, talk. I, I actually talk about the popularity um, ups and downs uh as you were as you were growing up didn't mm-hmm. you, you go through kind of a cycle of being accepted and not being accepted definitely talk about that
2: like i went so i went to a private all girls school for um my whole life 13 years um and um we had only 40 girls per grade and since i'd been there since kindergarten like i was kind of accepted right off you know it was like i mean there was like bullies and there was whatever but i was like in with the cool kids in kindergarten right cuz mm-hmm. you have to always have cool kids cuz kids are awful and cruel but so it was like fine and then like in eighth grade some tide shifted like some hellacious tide and um my best friend decided that she wasn't my best friend anymore and like all the girls that i was friends with decided they didn't like me anymore like i just was out you know what i mean? like i was out in every way and like you
1: didn't know why
2: i did i didn't know why um and i and but i'm such an insecure person to begin with that like you know, I felt it. And like the more I tried to like not be out, like I was even more out. And it only lasted for that only lasted for like a couple of months that I was like so out and like made fun of for my outness. And um, but it really I think it was traumatizing at the time. And I also was having these like it was when definitely I mean, I had always had anxiety disorder. Like as a, as a young kid, I was um, I've always been a hypochondriac. Like, I remember going on a school field trip, and we watched Dances with Wolves, and there's a scene where um, a guy's leg gets amputated, and, like, the next day, when we were, like, doing trust falls or whatever on the field trip, um, like, I hurt my ankle, and I was like, they're gonna have to amputate, because we're in the middle... We, like, weren't in the middle of the woods. We were in, like, the Poconos in, in Pennsylvania, like, very close to, like, hospitals and shit, but I was like, that's it. They're gonna amputate, and I was, like, terrified, so... Always, always things like that. Always, always my whole life. And also as a little kid, I would like wind up before I cried. So I'd um, kind of suck in my breath and then pass out. So I've always been having like anxiety and panic attacks. But when I was in seventh and eighth grade, like the anxiety really ratcheted up to, it got very phobic. So I was like, I, I became obsessed with fires. Like I thought I knew that my I started having nightmares about fires. I knew my family's house was gonna catch on fire. Like there was no way it wasn't. You know what i mean? you know when you just know a fear mm-hmm. a fear that's not gonna happen. You is, feel it in your body. Yeah, you know. I knew. And like we had a fire ladder. I had my mom move the fire ladder into my room, and then that sort of like seamlessly transitioned. Wouldn't into, you
1: also practice
2: the escapes? I didn't practice the escapes because like I was on the second floor and my mom was like, you're not putting the fire ladder out the window and like, climb like you're mm. going to die, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. But, but I had the fire ladder and in my head I like had the escape, you know, like, Oh, was, that was it. That yeah. I was going to yeah. throw my desk chair through my bedroom that window yeah. and then, yeah, exactly. Um, and then that just sort of, so, okay. And also I'm a Jew. So I was in Hebrew school, um, and in eighth and in seventh and eighth grade, they really, I don't know if it's still like this in, in reform Hebrew schools, but I mean, it was like the Holocaust, like, girl, you're never gonna forget. Like, they are obsessed with the Holocaust and like everything is Holocaust a go go. It's like <laughs> so much Holocaust. And like, um, there were, you know, like our, our principal, um, of the Hebrew school like called us all into the, um, assembly room and then, um, started, um, and turned off all the lights and started like throwing like a a, um, bag full of glass and was like, it's, this is crystal knocked. And like um, another, like a youth group that I was in, they like um, put us in a cabin. Like these kids who had been on this weird, like Israeli brainwashing trip where they like go to Poland and like march in some anti-Holocaust parade and get like fruit thrown at them and then go to Israel and get like, become like weirdly, um, pro-Israel to the exclusion of like any other points of view like so they like they did like a simulation of like Auschwitz and like we watched like a little bit of Schindler's List and then they like put us in a cabin and so you get this stuff like hammered into your psyche so my psyche was kind of fragile in eighth grade because um, I was going through this weird stuff at school and I started having these nightmares about the Holocaust and I was like obsessed like I knew Same way I knew with the fires, I just knew it was coming again. Um, There was a woman who helped my mom clean on Thursdays and Fridays. She came and she like took care of us since we were little kids, like picked us up from school because my mom worked. And she was like, "Oh, like I mean, she knew that the Holocaust was also like she watched so much Twenty Twenty and like Mm -hmm. all the neo-Nazi shit, and she was just like neo-Nazis like are on the way." She said she would hide me. You know, this was on. She would hide you. Yeah, she was gonna hide me.
1: I mean, by eighth grade, you had had a thousand different messages that the world is not safe. Yes. And, you, and that you are different.
2: Yes. Yes. So I was, I was going to be, um, so she was going to hide me. And I was like, well, that's good. You know, but it was just, you know, the nightmares. It's one thing to have like the waking fears. But when it's nightmares, it's like all the time, you know, your sleep's not safe anymore. So and it was strange because I just had this feeling like if I can just get to my bat mitzvah, like if I can just get to my bat mitzvah, I don't know why it's not rational, but the Holocaust won't happen again. And um people in school will like me again. And I don't know like where I came up with that, but it was very strange because I like um my bat mitzvah was like in the very late fall of eighth grade and i had my bat mitzvah and like suddenly all the girls in school were like oh my god she's so cute like i love you and like um and i was like in like i was back in i was back on the inns and then the holocaust didn't happen again i prevented that from happening there was going to be holocaust part 2 in the 90s and i prevented that from happening by having a bat mitzvah
1: Oh, man, I, you know, I'm I'm rolling that over in my mind and going, what was it about the bat mitzvah that made it seem like things were going to change? And do you think it's it's something about the act of undeniably being seen?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I like love Internet attention. And this is actually the first time I've thought about this. But it was like my earliest retweet. The bat mitzvah was like a massive fucking retweet. You know what I'm saying? It's a celebration of you and it's a themed celebration of you, you know, and people are kind of like forced to like be obsessed with you for like a night, um, yeah. even though my bat mitzvah sucked. I mean, because I was in love with this. Okay. So eighth grade, I still didn't know my period. I was like, where is it? Where are my boobs? Like things were like better, you know, like things like the Holocaust didn't happen. And like the girls like me again after the bat mitzvah, but The bar mitzvah itself, I was like in love with this guy, James Delaney. Like I wasn't even in love with him. That was the thing. It was just like he was somebody to fixate on who didn't want me. So I was like, oh, I definitely love him. He was
1: your pain vehicle. He
2: was my pain vehicle, of which there, yes, exactly. Like I had given up the, the pain vehicle from the year before. There were always pain. I mean, I've been boy crazy since the dawn of time. And, but yes, he was my pain vehicle. And then he got to sloppy second with this girl, Claire Antonini. I guess I can say her last name.
1: What do you mean when you say sloppy seconds?
2: Like, he got, he, um, he licked her boobs oh, okay. at my bar mitzvah.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was like first base, second base, and then sloppy second was licking of the boobs. Oh, okay. Sloppy I always third, thought of
1: sloppy seconds as the second guy to fuck a, uh, a, I think that's another woman. use, use okay. of the term, that, too. That was the, the use of always base. Known. It's like okay. second
2: base, you touch the boob, sloppy. Okay. Second is like you lick the boob. okay so he like licked Clarentonini's boobs at my Bat Mitzvah like not out on The dance floor but like you Know like away and like of Course I found out about it Two seconds later and it was Just very depressing um, so you Know the Bat Mitzvah giveth And it taketh away <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, then You're back uh, you're back in so I'm the-
2: back in I'm back in with the girls um and then I had been going to overnight camp um every year and I went to an a all like an all girls camp I don't know why my parents did that to me there were boys across the lake so like we like saw them and I had little boyfriends and stuff but um the girls like okay so while up until eighth grade when everyone decided they didn't like me like at school I was pretty much fine at camp like I was in like the really really nerd bunk like the nerd bunk and like I was kind of cool for the nerd bunk but like everyone from the camp was from long island and i wasn't so i was like um so they hated me and like the girls were so there were like a lot of scary bullies who were older than me so finally like after eighth grade i was like i'm not going back to this shithole anymore like get me i don't know why it took five years for me to not go back i mean like they would like stick chewed gum on my face they had like all these mean it was just like like girls we can be mean like girls can be mean you know and um and i have a big mouth and i would like Basically, what would happen was like they would pick on a nerd from the bunk, and then I'd defend the nerd, and then I was like out, you know, mm-hmm. like I was out and I was to be tortured. Um, and so, um, so I went to this new camp, and that summer I like, um, I had been like chubby, I had no boobs, like I didn't get my period, like you know, leading up to that, and then like that summer there were like boys. Like all around You know what I'm saying Like the boys were just like Boyifying Like everywhere It was co-ed And it was really And I hung with like The older kids And um, Oh it was the best And I like lost all this weight I got like really tan like I just I was looking good and like I had like a 16 year old boyfriend I was like 14 um, he would like have sex with like a bunch of counselors at night but that didn't matter it was just like during the day he was mine and like boys like liked me and it was just like I had fucking arrived you know and and my mom came on visiting day and was like freaking out about how good I looked you know I was like thin and like yes um, and that is, and what do you
1: mean when you say your mom was freaking out in a good way or a bad oh, way? Oh, good. Like, yes. I mean,
2: like, the, finally
1: I can be proud of my little girl.
2: Yeah. Like, look at, uh, like she looks amazing. You know, mm-hmm. I looked amazing. And so, um, and that was sort of, you know, um, and then I guess throughout high school, like that's sort of when I guess like I learned how to like do an eating disorder, you know, like it's sort of. It like trickled in and out in the beginning of high school. So was that
1: where the thinness came from? Was because you had restricted? Uh, yeah, like I camp? was
2: restricting a camp. I grew a couple inches, so it was kind of a hybrid of like a a gentle, a soft restriction, like not a <laughs> crazy restriction, but like a a soft, you know, <laughs> a soft restriction. Um, so like mild to moderate and yeah. and um, growing, and then like then I would kind of for the next um, ten years or twelve years of my life, like go between binging and um to one point being like completely anorexic um when i was a junior and senior in high school just like bad um like you know growing fur not getting my period anymore like um,
1: what do you mean growing fur
2: so when you're when you're anorexic and you reach a certain point you start to grow fur because your body's trying to keep you warm really it's called lanugo
1: I had no idea. Yeah. Can't believe 5 years of doing this show and I that's the first I've heard of that. You've
2: definitely had anorexics on the show, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and they and they've probably had fur. Wow. Yeah, you grow it, you grow like a nice down, like a, like a soft blonde. Now
1: that you mention it, I I do recall in my past seeing very
2: very thin uh women that had almost is almost like a peach fuzz. It's a peach fuzz. Yes. It's a, it's a down so you know because your body's like uh we need to keep you warm um because one thing about being anorexic that sucks so bad that, i think the, probably the worst i mean there's a lot of things that are the worst but but you're
1: constantly cold you're
2: freezing like you're freezing all the time freezing so um so yes yeah, so that was like one of the hells i've created for myself it was nice and um and that was like when i was like a junior and senior and then in high school, and then I went to college, and I discovered drugs and alcohol, and that shook me out of my anorexia and right into binge eating again. Where would you go to school again? I went to Tufts University okay. in Boston.
1: Smarty pants.
2: Yeah, I was good at I was good at writing. Um, I was very bad math and French and all mm. that other stuff. Student, um, but yeah, so I went there and. Um, and drugs and alcohol were like, "What's up?" You know, and I was like, "Hey," <laughs> and "Hey, um, cutie," "Hey, cutie," and it was like so on. Would you take me to my bottom? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, can I? Can, can we ride together? So, and it got me out of my eating disorder, sort of. I mean, then it got me into like laxatives and all this crazy.
1: That's the one that I, I can't wrap my head around. Yeah, just. The inconvenience. I know. Well, if you take that,
2: it... Well, I don't want to give your listeners any tips.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you take it at night, blah, blah, blah.
2: Yeah. But, um... Yeah, no, it's a very isolating thing. It's a very isolating thing. So, you know, and there's also sort of, like, li- like, la- like, 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 ass light. Like, there were these teas, you know, you could take that were, like, you know, like... The like, licorice teas. Yeah, or, like, yeah. ass cleanse teas that, like, hmm. are, like, the same as a laxative. And I did that for many years. And, um... And also got really into like, um, well, like I went through an ecstasy phase that really helped with my, with like getting thin, like losing weight again. Um, I got really into this bizarre drug that they don't even make any, it's not legal anymore um, called ephedrine. Which they would sell at like Seven Eleven. They called mm. it like Trucker Speed or Mahuang. There's different names for it. And that shit was really strong. Yeah. like I'm, That shit
1: fucks your heart up, Mahuang.
2: I know. Yeah. Real bad. And I took it for like many years. Um, oops. <laughs> Whoops-a-daisy. But I haven't taken that in a long, long time. I mean, since before I got sober. So, um, Or laxatives or any... I mean, I'd say now the way my food stuff manifests, and I write about this in the book, is... Do like do I have a healthy or peaceful relationship with food? Like, no. Like, am I waltzing through a buffet just like eating until I'm full? You know, like who the fu- like I don't understand that. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm not definitely not like a foodie. You know, like everything mm-hmm. I eat is like very known quantities, and I'm you know I, I'm very aware. Mm-hmm. But um, I think no longer is it like a you know it's been when I got sober when I was 25. That's like the healthiest I've ever uh been about food like i think i think also because i had been drinking so much that like when i stopped drinking i was you know they i i was just like wow um like I can have all this candy and like still not have the same amount of calories you know and and also it was so nice to like be in the world again. I was like, I'm gonna enjoy food um would it be safe to say that that you've never had a casual relationship with food? uh it would be very safe to say that I okay. always say my my longest relationship is my oldest or my longest relationship is my bad relationship with food,
1: yeah yeah uh share some of the um the binging that 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 you describe in the book or is there do you have something highlighted sure let me see
2: i didn't highlight it but let me see what i've got
1: i'm thinking in particular the one about the low calorie
2: okay right okay that's the beginning let me read that so this is this is my current relationship with food and the essay is called i want to be a whole person but really thin I am an eater of numbers. I prefer packaged foods, foods with a barcode because they make the math simpler in counting calories, and that gives me a sense of peace. It's just an illusion of control, really, but that illusion is everything. It makes me feel safe. It gives me a stillness in my mind. All I've ever wanted is peace. I am a vanity eater, a machine-like eater, a suppressor of feelings eater. I save the bulk of my calories for the end of the day so that I can have something sweet and seemingly unlimited to look forward to. I do not trust the universe to provide enough of anything to fill my apparently bottomless hunger. That's the case with my consumption of a whole pint of diet ice cream with six packets of equal poured into it every single night. It's a way of offering myself something cloyingly saccharine and seemingly infinite. I don't believe that the world or God will give me that sweetness. So I am giving it to myself. I am going to bed full of sweetness that the day may not have provided. And I am defeating the laws of nature by doing this with diet ice cream. Most nights I would rather curl up with the diet ice cream than be in the world. I am an eater who enjoys structured magic. I don't feel courageous enough to let myself eat whatever I want because I don't want to face the wrath of what my mind will do to me after. After. I have a vested interest in keeping things under control because when I lose my illusions of control I get very scared. The world is scary enough as it is. Just let me have this way of life. Just let me to continue just let me oh let me continue to live under these self-imposed systems of diet ice cream where I can have some of what I enjoy about binge eating without my mind destroying me after.
1: That's great. Thanks. That's great. That was such a um such a peek into um the the issue of control and food um i I don't have disordered eating, but I have a ritual at night where I eat half of a gigantic bag of popcorn and a protein bar, and it's like my blanket it's I watch Netflix and I do that and I get excited thinking about it. And sometimes I eat it. I won't do it if I'm not hungry, but I don't have to be very hungry to do it. I just have to, um, anything short of, Oh, that would make me sick to eat it. I will eat it because it just, I I guess the structure, the ritual that the, the feeling of I'm giving myself a reward for having just trudged through another day of begrudgingly existing,
2: Right, a reward for being alive. Yeah, what kind of protein bar?
1: Uh, Quest, which tends to be. I'm obsessed with Quest. They're they're the best. I
2: feel passionate. What's your favorite flavor?
1: Uh, there's only one.
2: Chocolate, chocolate chunk.
1: Close that one. The outside of it tastes a little uh, fake sweet uh, chocolate fudge brownie.
2: Chocolate fudge brownie's good. It's don't, like a don't it, it almost you tastes... fuck
1: don't you fucking condescend to me about chocolate fudge brownie? No, I
2: listen. Chocolate fudge brownie, I'd say, is number. Four for me.
1: I'm gonna guess you're probably gonna do white chocolate raspberry. No,
2: no. Okay. okay. Yeah. Chocolate, chocolate chunk. Mm-hmm. Cookie dough. Cookies and cream. Cookies and chocolate
1: cream. chocolate brownie. Yes, cookies and cream. I I have some some uneaten uh, cookies and cream. Once I once I tasted chocolate fudge brownie. You know you do that thing where you try all the flavors yes. and then you eat. F- four or five of them and then it's three and for me then it's just one and i'm not kidding you i in the last year i've probably gone through 14 boxes oh definitely yeah okay so 100 percent. okay
2: i mean i really should have stock in that shit i will (laughs) eat it for meals um have you ever microwaved chocolate fudge brownie
1: no we got rid of our microwave so it's not a it's not a possibility but i've had it in the car where it gets very very (laughs) soft it's like
2: a microwave
1: yeah yeah
2: if you microwave Uh, it for 10 seconds it's like beyond
1: and quest gets one of uh the highest ratings by nutritionists for having the least amount of shit and the highest amount of uh protein
2: quest is amazing like i honestly like i always feel like there's very few like people i would want to do ads on my twitter mm-hmm. but i'm like if quest bars wants to sponsor me or if like um right now i'm really into like special k chocolate chunk or if arctic zero wants to sponsor sponsor me like if you're out there i'm on
1: <laughs> you got to have your uh your publicist reach out to them or your, i know or or somebody i know um so what's the next phase uh let's let, is this a good time to talk about the the drugs and alcohol sure and, and this was side by side also with yours it fair to call it love addiction
2: yeah I, you know it's funny i never i don't know why i don't call it love addiction i probably should i say i'm a romantic obsessive okay because i always feel like love i'm like i don't know if it's love but mm. yes for all intents and purposes yes. you could call it that
1: and there's there there is that's a, probably just
2: me not accepting f- fully okay.
1: well i don't want to label anything um
2: for me it's like romantic obsession okay And fantasy addiction
1: and there's a line that you have at the beginning of a chapter about your uh, romantic obsessions where um, you I I forget the exact line but you talked about how many people you've had sex with that you didn't even really want to Mm -hmm. where it was a gross experience uh, where you almost should have been paid because it was so um, unpleasant what Help the listener understand why you would do that. Was it fear of being alone? Fear needing the validation? All of the above?
2: I think it's all of the above. I mean, I actually really like being alone. And I, I'm a, definitely a natural isolator. So I don't think it was that like I needed... Well, okay. So the time of my life that I was talking about in that chapter was... Um, I was in my early 20s and um, I was fucked up every night i was drunk every night and um at that point i had moved out to san francisco by myself and i was trying to like convince myself that i wasn't lonely and that this was a great thing i was sort of getting away from this relationship that had become one of those power things where it's like who's happier you know after the relationship like i'm happier i'm doing great (laughs) that's what
1: facebook is for yes
2: exactly (laughs) like i'm doing great no i'm doing great so it was like i really wanted to prove to myself that like i was Happy and great, and um, so that's when my drinking even like escalated a lot, and um, and so when and I sort of like thought I considered it like free love, you know? I was just like, why wouldn't you? And it was the validation. I think some of it was the longing, like some people I really did want to sleep with, but then I'd be in bed with them, and I was like, no, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Some people it was like I was literally just drunk, and I'm like, well, they're I'm there, they're there, they want it, okay. Mm um so there was sort of a range um some of it was also i think like pertaining to the fetish because it was like i'm i feel like my whole life i've always been trying to find that person who like i can connect with beyond the fetish right like i can really connect with and like really be present from like hello through orgasm you know Mm -hmm. and and so i think it's definitely that has made me more promiscuous than maybe um I might have been otherwise. Um,
1: so, so in other words, trying to uh, chase the intensity of the uh, emetophilia Orgasm by yourself,
2: right? Like, well, basically, just like, is there a person out there who with whom I can be with and have an orgasm and not have to like leave them in my head and fantasize about something else? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a challenge. Like, can I just be present with someone? Even in
1: a one night stand, it would be that way.
2: Oh yeah, the whole wow. always and most one night stands, I like wouldn't have an orgasm because I'm just too like.
1: That's amazing to me because th- to me that's like the purpose of a one night stand,
2: right? I've never been able to like fully. Objectify another human being You're not You're not
1: trying hard enough
2: I know (laughs) I am Um, I think Yeah like I just I've never I don't know Like I think my sexuality Is just It's much more narrative Mm -hmm. Maybe And like I've definitely projected Fantasies on other people I've objective. I've objectified people In that sense right Like I've projected Entire narratives On people that they are Definitely not worthy of Or able to live up to
1: Talk about that Because I think uh, I think that's one of my sorry i'm having mic issues i think that's one of my favorite things about um uh fantasy is the unconscious projection mm. um of a life onto somebody who who you don't even know mm-hmm. and not even being aware that you're imbuing them with all of these qual- qualities and a backstory um and it's an insanity that many people never even wake up to. You'll meet somebody that's been married seven times and they don't realize that they are chasing something that doesn't exist.
2: Mm. Uh, I think because there's a morning when you realize it doesn't exist. And it's like you also have to keep realizing it, right? Like it's not the kind of thing where you realize it and then you're like, I'm free. Like we, for me, I want that fantasy. You know, like that fantasy serves as a drug for me. And like while I've always been crazy, it you know – um, in sobriety, it's definitely, I'd say the past like five or six years, you know, along with my like admiration for the, or and desire for the bouquet of dicks. It's also been, it's really to write those narratives have really been a way of like m- me getting out of myself when I have very little left to use to do that. You yes. know, it, it,
1: it is an oblivion. And I think it's also why there's so much uh, promiscuity sometimes in the uh, support groups around mm-hmm. uh, uh, drug and alcohol addiction.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's like, because, we, you know, when you don't have that left, um, it's a it's a beautiful way to get high. It's beautiful. I mean, like... And the pharmacy
1: is open 24 hours.
2: Yes. The pharmacy is open 24 hours. And if you're a person who... You know, like, imagination really served me as a kid. Like, as somebody who's never, like, really enjoyed reality or... um, Imagination really rescued me. You know, like, creating fantasy worlds really, like, saved me. And so, to take that away or to, to say, like, no, this actually hurts you... You know, is really, is really tough. And so it's one thing when, you know, you have a fantasy about someone and then you have a one night stand and then like it kind of fizzles out or, but it's another thing when like someone is willing to play with you. And I talk in the book about, um, someone who I, I was with, like had an affair with for a year and it was just, um, I mean, we only were together. We only spent three weekends together. The rest of it was all sexting, but it was like, and romantic. But it was like really deep, and I'm like, I still I have a lot of questions, and I still have a lot of questions about the difference between love and lust, and like I want love to feel like
0: lust. Lust, as I high do. as it
2: lust, pisses yeah. me off that like, and I kind of like I know that like for me I'm like all right like love isn't it's it's an action right like it's a verb like it's not I mean I'm sure it is a feeling sometimes, but. Um, but like when it's
1: long term true mature love right. involves action and compromise
2: sacrifice.
1: difficult conversations who, yeah
2: who wants that who yeah. wants yeah i don't want to sacrifice i want this to be like you it's very hard to turn a real human being who you live with and buy toilet paper with and wake up with every day into a drug um Yes. It's very, or it's hard for me. Actually, there are some people who are capable of that, like people who are addicted to long-term relationships that are not healthy for them. You know, I I have seen it happen. But in general, I think in general, it's so, you you can't turn them into a drug. So you compare the person that you have an affair with, or in my case, I mean, it was, you know, I was non-monogamous with my husband, so it was like By choice
1: between the two of you. You had a conversation.
2: We had our our special, we had our Mm. arrangement. Mm. Um, And so it was like... um, morally ethically it was okay but there was part of me the whole time that knew like every time i was sleeping with these guys and um and and this was like later than than when i talked about kind of having sex with people and wanting to have gotten paid for it because it wasn't that great like this was like every like this was um uh, the past couple of years um you know i would like it was younger guys you know like beautiful younger men um and i would just get so high off of their beauty also like You know, in in a way, I felt like I was chasing death away. Sometimes I felt older. Sometimes it made me feel older, but most of the time it made me feel really young and like um, reminded me of a time when there was like no no cares. Actually, it was it was almost like a fictional teenhood. Like I got really obsessed with like I mean, I wasn't hooking up with teens. Everybody was Mm -hmm. over. Actually, everyone was like twenty four and over, but. You know, like when you're, you know, when you're in your thirties, like early twenties, that's, that's teen, you know, that mm-hmm. seems like youth. And that's sort of, um, when I was in my early twenties, you know, I was drunk and like fucking like, I don't know, like 45 year old men. I didn't want to be fucking. And like, you know, um, dudes with like acorn dicks and like all kinds of <laughs> shit, you know? So I hadn't did had you, that.
1: Did you coin that
2: term? acorn? No, dick? No, I think it's a, it? a real term, but okay. it, there was an acorn dick and, yeah. um, you know, or, um, Or when I was a teen myself, like, you know, it was, I was troubles, you know, like it was not a happy time, but something happened to me, like in my, I think like in my late, late twenties, early thirties, where I became obsessed with this, trying to capture that, not even recapture youth, trying to capture this youth that I had never had. And to me that looked like part of it was sleeping with like 23, 24 year old, you know, guys like 10 years younger than me. And, um, but what would happen was I would really think I could handle it. Um, and either what would happen was either the sex would be like bad and stupid, or they'd just be like so boring or not intelligent, like that I couldn't project any fantasy onto them. And then I was just like, well, what was the point of that? Or like the sex would be good or great. They would be attractive and we'd have like some kind of connection, um, you know, just like. It didn't even have to be like a deep emotional connection, just like an intellectual connection or, um, you know, a lot of times they were fans of my writing. I, and so it's like, for me, if somebody just wants to have sex with me, I don't, I'm i not like, oh, you're in love with me. You know, like I'm able to, I could, I could probably keep that separate. But if somebody's like, wants to have sex with me and they think I'm cool, I'm like, oh, you're in love with me.
1: You see me. You see
2: me, you know, like you see me. And so what would happen is I would, um, I just kept getting into so much pain because I was falling for the fantasy because most of the time it was really like with, with a lot of these people, it was just like sexting and, you know, there was the amount of actual time spent together was a way less than the amount of time that was, you know, as is our modern world. And so it's a wonderful place to really build a fantasy. And then if you're only with them for a couple of hours, or in the case of my, my final lover as, or (laughs) to be continued, but as a, up till now, like final lover, um, you know, a weekend, I mean, it's, it's hard for some people can drive you nuts over a weekend, but like when it's like two days, I mean, and you're like having sex most of the time and it's good sex, like they're not going to drive you nuts. And so, um, and so ethically it was okay like I was allowed to quote unquote do this in my marriage, but spiritually, like so- spiritually and psychologically, like it hurts so much. And um I just knew having been sober for a long time, I knew what I was doing. I was like, you are taking a spiritual hole and trying to fill it, not even with these men, but with like the, the anticipation of it or, and it works. And then the next day I'm like, you know, you're, yeah like so hungover and like the same symptoms as when i used to be hungover like anxiety attacks not that i don't get those when i'm not having sex but you know it's bad an, an
1: emptiness that was even bigger before
2: exactly you put the excitement
1: you, rolled into town
2: exactly you put something in that hole that won't fill it and it stretches the hole yeah no pun intended
1: yeah. um the, talk about the sexting what you know if you're sexting furiously with somebody because I've been in a relationship for a long time, predates even cell phones. Mm. Um, what, isn't it like three different pictures that you could sext? It's and about then- the
2: language.
1: Oh, okay. Well, for, but
2: it's funny. I think for a lot of, I'd say heterosexual men, like mm-hmm. cis male heterosexuals. It, it's very visual, right? Like it's definitely all about the nudes and I like the nudes, but for me, it's all about the language. I mean, as a writer and an imaginative person, it's like, give me the language. So sexting for me really means, um, you know, spinning these elaborate sexual narratives with
1: people. So uh, for you, a lot of the sexting sexting didn't even involve pictures. Right, like, I mean, it
2: did, you know, the pictures would be sent, but the bulk of it, you know, I'd say, like, um, with with any given person, you know, maybe uh, 10, 15% of it would be pictures, and the rest would be language. Okay. Yeah.
1: What a good uh, segue into you reading uh, the sexting. Sure. And this was the guy that you were talking about.
2: This was, yeah. This isn't pancake ass. There are many, but this okay. is, um, this is my final. This was my final person who I really just kind of bottomed out on the whole thing with. Um, who's a lovely human being, but um,
1: if you can't try to get close to the to the mic sure. for this one because your uh, mouth is a little lower, my mics are not that good. They don't, uh, and I have OCD about sound.
2: I can imagine. I would too if I did podcasting. Um, So this is called this essay is called love like you are trying to fill an insatiable spiritual hole with another person who will suffocate in there. And I'll just read some of the Mm sexts. Okay. Him. I want to fuck you in an air duct flattened out with our whole bodies touching at first slow and careful, then really hard until I come in you and the bottom of the duct falls out and we fall into a boardroom meeting for Walmart, like into a bucket of fondue. Him, also eat your pussy. (laughs) Me, slow and then hard is good fucking. I want to look at your pretty face while you fuck me and I want it to look like you are on some other shit. I want you to moan into my mouth. Him, I want to whisper in your mouth that I want to fuck you while I'm already fucking you. Him, I want to peel off your tights real slow while watching your face and push you onto a bed and go right for one really long slow lick from the bottom of your pussy all the way to right before your clit and even slower, trace it lightly with my tongue. Me: LOL tights. <laughs> me: That's very good. I want to hear you say my fucking name and look me in the eyes as I lick the head of your cock, suck suck the shaft and lick your balls so slow it kills you. Me: I want to, you to tease my belly, pussy and thighs until I'm begging. Him: I want to feel myself about to come and grab the back of your hair in a bunch and ease your mouth back and forth on my cock with long full strokes until I come in your mouth while I watch you watch my eyes. Me: you will know how much I am enjoying sucking your wet cock because my wet mouth will be moaning on it. Him, fuck yeah, I want to feel your moans on my cock. Him, I want to rub your pussy under your waistband while you suck my cock through my jorts. Him, <laughs> LOL, LOL. Me, I want you to tell me how bad you want me to make me come and take as long and to take as long as I need. Then I want you to lick my little pink clit so fast and gentle, like your tongue is my personal vibrator, while I surf the internet. <laughs> Ten minutes after I tweet, delete that tweet, and then tweet another tweet, I come in your mouth. <laughs> Him, I want to fave your tweet as you come around my face, which is soaked with your pussy juices. Him, I want to retweet while you hold my head against your clit during your last cum clenches. Me, I want you to at me while I lick your clit, <laughs> while you lick my clit. Then as I come, I will say your name over and over and respond to your at that way because I don't at on Twitter and everyone knows that. Me, as I am coming, I want you to put your fingers inside me to feel my muscles moving, but not before. That will be your response to my response to your at. (laughs) Me, FYI, I will lick you behind your balls like I am eating the most delicious pussy. Him, I want to go deep into your Twitter feed and fave an unfaved tweet as a means of communicating that, one, I respect your art and love your pristine feed, and two, that I like getting the at reply better this way. Me, I keep my pussy even more pristine than I keep my feed. Me, I will like three of your statuses on Facebook while I swallow your cum. <laughs> Him, I'm going to eat it and get so sick and die to, due to its being too pristine for my human body to process, <laughs> but I'll come back as a ghost and finish the job. <laughs> Him, I'm going to finger your wet pussy with my middle finger while I come in your mouth and with my left hand share a poem you posted with the caption, <laughs> So good. <laughs> Him, I'll lick your clip for 127 hours. Me, I will like your share of my poem with one hand and hold your wrists down with the other as I fuck you on top. I'll be kissing your mouth as I do this. <laughs> me, I want you to tell me how badly you want to taste me after you've already been licking it. This should happen at the 121st hour. <laughs> Him, I'm going to fade in and out of physical nirvana dimension due to length of my eating your pussy, my cock getting so hard that it cuts through space-time and fucks our <laughs> common ancestor. Him, I want to print out a screenshot of Melissa Broder likes and come on it. Me, I want you to take a picture of your cum on the screenshot of Melissa Broder likes this and send it to me. And I want it signed by the cummer. Him, God, I want to fuck you in a treehouse and have someone's parents find us and instead of stopping, speed up and fuck each other as hard and fast as we can until we come. and when we wake up, they've died from shock. Sad. (laughs) Me, I will write a poem about your face as I watch it go in and out of tangible reality while you eat my pussy for 127 hours, and it will possess themes of the succubus, the transcendent, and temporal angst, and it will be the worst poem I ever wrote. (laughs) Him. I want to fuck fuck you from behind and squeeze your ass cheeks until you spit out your next chapbook hole and we watch it get railed by a hot New York Times reviewer (laughs) co-ed. Now, wait. Before I read this final sext, I have to say he has IBS. So. Okay. Me. I want to tell you I embrace your shit game while you are fucking me next to their dead bodies and say, even if you had to shit at this very moment, I would not judge you. You could just shit, just shit everywhere, and it might even turn me on, even though shit has never been my thing. Not that there's anything wrong with people who are into it, but the intimacy of the act, your powerlessness over it, and my delight at my own radical acceptance would be hot. And then instead of shitting, you just come really hard. (laughs) Him, the perfect sext, you did it.
1: Oh, I had so much fun reading your book. It it I've never read anything like it. I've never read anything like it. <laughs> Thank <It's>, you. <laughs> um so what what would you like to talk about um next? Do you want to talk about spiraling towards the bottom on the drugs and alcohol? Did you want to share anything from uh your trip out to San Francisco working with the hippy dippy people?
2: Um oh god. <laughs> so crazy. Um what do you want to talk about? What do you think your listeners will want to hear? I'm down to talk about anything. Talk about
1: um when you discovered what was underneath the anxiety.
2: Mm, okay.
1: And how did you arrive
2: at that? Cool. Okay. So basically um I so as I as I discussed with my holocaust fears and and fears of basically everything else. Um I always had anxiety. And then when I was around 21, I had an abortion and um I sort of like drank and drugged my way through the abortion. Like I didn't process any of the feelings, and about two weeks later, I started getting panic attacks, and those went on. I mean, they, I still have them, um, and um, and so and I went on meds, um, but they couldn't. They didn't work for a long time because I was drinking, and and also I took Ativan a lot, and that would work. But in sobriety, I don't. I don't have any opinion on anyone else's use of Ativan, and I, if I were ever needed to be prescribed it, like I wouldn't say that it was a relapse Mm -hmm. but but i have had psychiatrists say well like until you until you get through these next few days like maybe we should prescribe you out and i've chosen not to just because it is such an addictive substance and because i know myself i will drive myself nuts like am i really having a panic like do i need this or do i not so i just as of yet have chosen not to in sobriety but um but throughout my sobriety, I've had like sort of ebbs and flows of, of these panic attacks and they tend to come in clusters. Like I'll have a really bad one. Um, and then, um, I'll sort of get in fear about having another one and then they will, um, and then like I'll, I'll be having them every day and I'll, and, and this happens, I'd say, um, Is it
1: fair to say that, that they're then triggered by the fear of having a panic? Exactly, attack? Exactly.
2: Because then right. I become hyper aware of every which I'm I already am anyway of every sensation in my body. So it's like what like, um, you know, something will shit like i let's say I have a little bit of a sniffle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm laying on my back and like I try to breathe in and like it doesn't my inhale isn't full. I'm like. Oh, my God. Like, am I not able to breathe? What's happening? Why can't I breathe? Why do I feel weird? And then, like, immediately, the it's almost like the adrenaline is, like, an immediate response when anything shifts in my body. Or sometimes there can be a thought, you know, or it can be brought on. A lot of times it's very social. Like, mm. if I'm going to be trapped in a situation where I feel like I can't, it would be weird if I just left, mm-hmm. you know, like, with a boss or someone in a position of authority. Um but so – and then there are times when I'll, I'll go for weeks without having one um, or I'll have maybe like a – you know, on the scale of one to ten, like, like on the way over here, I felt like I was having like a three or a four because I hadn't eaten enough and like my blood sugar was low. But so I like stopped and got like some fruit, you were know. You,
1: were you anxious about this?
2: No, I mean I think – You know, there's always whenever you're going to be like with someone like Mm -hmm. in this situation, like if I in the middle of this podcast, like had just or in like the first 20 minutes, if I was like, I got to go, like, I can't handle this, you know, which is um, then I would have felt like there's that shame. And so any situation like this where it's weird if I would have to leave um, does give me anticipatory anxiety. Mm. But I also feel like it's the mental like it, I mean, where else? Where better right. to have a panic attack? <laughs> where better? So, um, so I was all right. But um,
1: by the way, I, before I came here, I was eating at a uh, like a fast food place, and I saw somebody that I know who I like, and I pretended that I didn't see them so i could just sit and wait for my food alone 8 feet away from them and and not have to deal with the human being oh i and respect
2: that ate
1: my entire thing making sure not to even let them see my profile and and just going why why are you so afraid to even just go over and say hey how you doing good to see
2: you Couldn't, i have a lot of respect for that okay. i com, com, we're comrades in that <laughs> okay.
1: way so uh so go ahead
2: yeah no i get that um but yeah, so I so I always knew I had anxiety disorder and it's been something that I, I've struggled with. So um there were a couple of things that have that have helped. Um when I've gone through these like really bad cycles. One is um my psychiatrist has upped my medication at various points and that's sometimes gotten me out of it, you know. It's like just like that little adjustment. Um other times it's been um I don't know, like, I've always seen a therapist. I'm like, therapy? I'm like, yeah. Like, I I wouldn't not go to therapy. Like, I'm like, I'm always going to go to therapy. But I'm like, ugh. You know, I'm just like, oh, God. Like, more fucking therapy, you know? Although I have to say, this year I did see a cognitive behavioral therapist. And it was fabulous. But then I couldn't afford her anymore. She didn't take my insurance.
1: What helped Uh, about cbt
2: oh amazing because it's like tethered to the present it's tools i like journaling i like like making little graphs of my panic attacks it gives me a feeling of control you know it's not just like this nebulous thing that's attacking me um yes cbt is everything i think it's great um, but like yeah But like psycho Like psychotherapy I'm just like Oh That like,
1: story again Oh
2: Jesus Christ And like also Sometimes they just Give you really stupid Suggestions Like sometimes they're just I had this therapist In New York Okay so during the time Of the panic attacks I was actually Uh well, that, the story I'm going to tell. So I was seeing this woman um, and I saw her for seven years and she was completely ineffectual. But I was like, I guess I have some balance, some codependence issues. I was like scared to break up with her. She was like this cute old lady. But she would be like, I would come in there and I'd be like, yeah, so I'm obsessed. So I have all these zits. I'd like two, right? and I'd be like, I'm obsessed with these zits. And what we would what I wanted to talk about was why I'm like. Everything's pretty much okay in my life, but I'm like feeling that my life is over because of these two zits. Like that's the psychological piece, right? Like mm-hmm. why am I why am I just like everything is shit because of two pimples? Um, but she'd be like, you know, maybe you could put some calamine on them. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't like you're not <laughs> this my dermatologist. Is what's, this is what's underneath the? Fear. Yes, exactly. Or like I'd be talking about eating disorder stuff. She's like. What about a hard-boiled egg? And I was just like, "What?" But so, um, so I was seeing her at the time. Um, but anyway, so all the things that I had done in the past to kind of like help with the panic attacks, whether it was changing the meds or um, there was an ebook that I I used to love, it really helped me um, called Panic Away, um, and they weren't working. And so, um, so I ended up um, going to see a shaman. Um, who and i she's oh she calls herself a shaman i don't know if she's like really a shaman but um she's i an irish woman on the lower east side um that a friend of mine who i trust like recommended to me and so i went to go see her and at this point i was my panic attacks were so bad that i wasn't able to like sit one-on-one with another human being without having one like it was just i was not able to but i went into her apartment and like i was having you know Having one and, and I felt it so much in my chest. It was like I felt so physically in my chest. Is it like
1: somebody was sitting on yes, your chest?
2: Like somebody was sitting on it. And suffocation is like always been a big symptom of my panic attacks. Like it's always like suffocation. Like feeling that I'm suffocating or being smothered. Dizziness. Um, Rapid heartbeat sometimes But really for me It's like the breathing Like when people Mm -hmm. are like Oh you should do this breathing exercise For your panic attacks I'm like no Because if I focus on my breathing I'm just going to be convinced Of my death even more You know Like I need to not think About the breathing But so But it almost felt like My chest was like burning Like it really felt like And so whatever We did this like excavation That was like I see as metaphor She saw as real Where we found like These bats And this rat in my chest And like you know Whatever Like old psychological shit Archetype Whatever but she was the one thing that she said to me that was really helpful. She's like, "Well, that doesn't sound like anxiety to me. That sounds like depression." And I was like, "Oh." And I and I in that moment I sort of had this memory of like all of the past like uh like maybe like I mean, first of all, I've had depression since I was a little kid, but um but like especially of all the kind of past like um over 10 years that I've been having panic attacks that there had been times where I really things were really bad and then I would randomly like i would cry like something would make me cry and then it was like the slate was just like wiped clean um not to say that i was like a sane human being but just you know the like it it kind of would stop there was some type of
1: cleansing there was
2: a cleansing it was like a renewal and that's when i started to kind of like realize that like under the anxiety um was i mean i see i think sad, sadness and depression are different things they can be related but they're they're different like when i'm so when i say so sad today it's not that you know depression manifests can differently but it was when i started to realize that under there was like all this like this fucking like ocean of sadness that i had just been like running from and also like a real depression you know and um and i like told my psychiatrist not the ineffectual one the one who was my meds person and she's like oh yeah you have depression you know and i was like what the fuck like you like you could have told me this I've been seeing you for like four years and it sort of it changed the way that I thought about my anxiety and um, at the same time is also when I created I, I really didn't know what to do to be okay so I created this so sad today Twitter account and I started tweeting kind of into the void because when I would tweet from my own account the dopamine would sort of like get me out of it but I didn't want to. there were certain things I didn't want to be saying for my personal Twitter like a lot of things and I would be at work in an office, and I just like was afraid that I wasn't gonna make it. Like I was, you know, I I wasn't gonna be able to sit there if I like didn't have some outlet. So that was also weren't going to make it uh, existentially. Always existentially. Um, like I was done. Di- like it, for me, it's it's the ang- the anxiety is not so much about feeling suicidal, although I have felt suicidal. But when it's the panic attacks, it's the way I can best describe it is like. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying like both and so scared of the weirdness of life and so scared of the fact that like nobody is talking about it that I want to die, you know, or that like, like, I, I, it's just this fundamental, like, I'm not going to be okay, you know, that doom and a lot of it's chemical, you know, a lot of that is just like your body going into fight or flight, but through cognitive behavioral therapy you know i've learned like there are certain thoughts that feed that and feed those chemicals so you can kind of maybe like hmm. but um but yeah and so and and um, i'm still very i'm still not good at sitting with sadness or depression i think my earliest memory of depression was um being young and on a beach and um again it has to do with the food stuff like being young and on a beach and um feeling like looking at these pretty girls and just being like like i'm so fat i'm so gross and i wasn't even like a a really super chubby child but you know i was just like soft but like i'm i'm just like gross i'm gross and like everything is gross and like what's the point and then um feeling like and then kind of seeking solace from that depression in food but feeling like it's hopeless like i'm just making myself grosser you know like i'm like this isn't and that's like, like the only
1: thing I have to pour on the fire is gasoline.
2: Yes, exactly. Like, I'm just I'm just disgusting. And so the, that depression and that self-hatred are like really linked, you know. Um, But I think as much as I hate anxiety and as much as it has been panic attacks have been like the bane of my existence and really haven't gone away completely in sobriety, you know, at all. I mean, um, I don't. When I was hitting my bottom with alcohol and drugs, I would wake up every morning and within 20 minutes, I was like, "I'm definitely dying," you know, like I couldn't breathe, um, and that was because the withdrawals every day, you know, like alcohol's a depressant and all the pills, like opiates and stuff, I was taking. But um, but even so, I mean, it's been hard in sobriety. I can feel sometimes like an outsider, you know, amongst my sober friends when you know to be having this experience even if they've experienced like even if there are people who get panic attacks i can still it's very isolating you know to be having a panic because you feel like you're dying and dying is isolating um but um the but so but but despite all of that and all how painful anxiety it can be and like isolating it can be i think there is something in me that still prefers it or is more used to it than depression, so it's been like a really because because anxiety is um it's an active thing mm-hmm. you know like it's it's it can be motivating it can be you know you can le- like I've I've been in social situations where like I'm definitely dying and then I leave and I'm like oh I'm fine like mm-hmm. Eureka and I know there's something in me that knows like if I can just leave it doesn't make any sense if you can just walk out you're not going to die like that doesn't make sense if you're dying you're dying but um but whereas depression. There are, there are definitely things I can do to get myself out of depression. A lot of them not healthy for me, you know, but um, but I think that like the anxiety in a lot of ways has been this like mask, like something that has gone hand in hand with the depression. And um, I think that a lot of the things I've done to kind of get out of depression have fed the anxiety, you know, like um, and it was only the other day I realized um, I was like, shit, like so much of what I do in a day like bad habits or just whatever are like just this attempt when I've always said I'm trying to escape myself, but it's really, I mean, it's like I'm trying to escape depression, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is so it's 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 all so even though I have an account called So Sad Today, it's only been the past like maybe four years that I've had an awareness of my I mean, I've had, uh, that I've had an awareness of my own depression. It's really for the narrative for me was always anxiety disorder. I didn't I didn't know. And then and now I still have really only dipped my toe in it because I'm part of me is like, I don't, I don't want to. You know, it's scary.
1: I was just having uh, coffee with a friend today um, who is finally she's finally dealing with her depression. And she she's still stuck in that place where um, she views it as a as a character defect that she's lazy and so she's obsessing about all the things that she hasn't accomplished in the in the past and all the things that she feels are unrealistic for her to be able to deal with in the in the future and i was just like man i i know that feeling it's um for me i have to be able to Know that it's okay to take a nap and not shame myself. The, the, the day I decided I am no longer going to shame myself for napping was a day that, you know, I, I gained a certain amount of freedom from, um, the depression is still always there and that it, it mutes things, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't have the blanket of shame like it used to and, It made me realize that there are things that we can do to ease the intensity of our depression. Um, I haven't been able to find a way to completely get it to lift and leave forever. But um, it's depression is a motherfucker.
2: It is. And I think it's, you know, like any chronic illness, right? It's like um, when someone has herpes, it lives in their body forever. It only flares up sometimes. And like I, I or like, I don't know. Um, there's other illnesses. I mean, my husband's illness for one. But um,
1: um, I like the diabetes uh, analogy yeah. for depression because it it's,
2: it's there a, and you it's have a to treat it. Thing. Yeah, and like the thing is, though, it's like sometimes you can be doing everything right and yeah. it'll still flare up. But sometimes, like any chronic illness, like obviously, it's like if you take good care of yourself. For me, it's like if I if I if I'm eating well and I'm sleeping well, um, which I'm like never doing. But
1: <laughs> I was going to say, you strike me as somebody who is at best a light sleeper.
2: Yeah, I used to. I actually I fall asleep really easily, but I don't stay asleep. Okay. Um, but yeah, but if I'm like getting a good night's sleep and doing all that stuff, like I have a better chance at not having like having a relapse into like panic uh, attacks, as you know. Um, but there's no like surefire way to like, it's like once you have an illness, you have an illness. And, um, I love what you said about naps. I like, this past year, I'm like so deep in the nap game and I'm like, bring it on. Like, naps are, they're delicious.
1: They're, they're, they're the best. And honestly, awesome. Does anybody understand you better than your bed?
2: Oh my God. Totally. It's, Naps are amazing. And like
1: And if your dogs come up on the bed with you, oh, it's cuz they're like, "Oh yeah, we get
2: it." Yeah, no. We get it. A nice nap with a dog. I mean, there's not there's And it's like I think it's like a very, you know, I think it can be seen as a very glam and luxurious indulgence. Like I I don't have shame around napping. I have shame around a lot of other shit, but napping is one that I've been I so I commend you for
1: um it was a game changer for me to get to that place, but it took Thirteen years of living with uh, recognizing that I even had depression mm-hmm. to be able to stop shaming myself, and now I'll, I'll, because my wife never shames me for it. I will get up at noon and I will be napping at three on some days, and I'll, and I'll say I'm not even necessarily tired. I just don't want to face the world mm-hmm. right now, and my bed understands
2: totally. It's escape. I mean. It's sometimes you also You have to choose I well, First of all I don't think napping is an evil I think it's great But you know You have to choose Like the lesser of evils And it's like I don't know Dreams and sleep Are like a, a way To like get away And mm-hmm. um, you know And I also think It's interesting too With having moved To California Like I was really scared To move here Because I um, New York I was there for 10 years And it's New York feel The pace of it Feels year, like me
1: What years were you there?
2: I was there 2003 to 2013 Okay Um, And the pace of it just it really like matches me. I feel like I'm an East Coaster at heart. Um, And I was so scared to move to Los Angeles because um, I was afraid I wouldn't be able to escape myself, you know, and um, I was going to be working from home. Whereas like when I went to an office, as much as the office was like, you know, really the thing that got me to start so sad today cuz i was like in hell at the same time there was something about that structure every day I of getting i love the structure yeah. i love
1: the structure of it not necessarily the work itself right. but having a place to be yes. you have to get up you know you know what you're going to get i think for those of us that live with mental illness and especially um that have addictions the unknown is so terrifying terrifying
2: yeah. Um,
1: now, are you making your
2: living as a as a writer? No, I still work, um, but I work from home now. Okay. Um, so it's very different than when I worked in an office in New York. Um, I work for a startup and I do media for them okay. um, called New Hive. They're a really cool artistic startup. It's like tools to make multimedia web pages. and oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's actually a very therapeutic thing. It's a cool yeah. job. But, um, and I do it from home. I was scared, though. I mean, I was scared to work from home. I thought I'd have my head in the oven and like four hours but um all in all like it's weird Uh, um i think that's where my lack of nap shame has come from because i'm just like you kind of make different hours whereas in new york like i might have had nap shame Mm -hmm. you know because it was like you what do you mean you're sleeping in the middle of the day like you're you know you got to be at the office you got to do this i
1: always have nap shame when i'm in new york Mm. always because uh, i just feel like are are you kidding me yeah you're in fucking new york Uh. why would you nap FOMO. There's so many things to do. Yeah. Yeah, what what's FOMO? Fear of missing out. Oh,
2: I'd never heard that one. That's FOMO. a good one. FOMO. It's FOMO's a good one.
1: L- let's talk to the listener right okay. now. They have their headphones on. They're milling about their house. Um maybe they're even in bed. L- let's let's talk to them about why it's okay to to go to bed.
2: Why it's okay to take a nap.
1: Why it's okay to take a nap. To go lay down in your bed. Um, I,
2: well, I think, honestly, borrow my... Th- if, if you have to, borrow my, my view that it's glamorous. Get a sleep mask, a cute sleep mask, maybe some lavender oil. Like, make it a thing. You know, make that nap a thing. Um, doesn't have to be fancy. You know, you can get, like, whatever. You can get lavender oil or sleep mask, you know, from, like, mm. CVS. And, like... You know, and, and, and let it be intentional, like not something that is like um not a weakness. It's yeah. like a it's a lu- it's a luxury. Like not you a are,
1: capitulation.
2: No, it's like some Zsa, Zsa gabor shit, you know. You're like you're getting in there. Yeah.
1: I like that. And and I feel the same way about baths. Uh when I was at my most depressed when I went off my meds right around uh the time that I started this podcast uh five years ago and um one of the things I knew from my support group was the importance of self-care. And so I started taking um, Epsom salt baths and I threw in a little lavender in there too. And it was, um, it just felt so, I mean, physically it felt good, but spiritually it also felt like, um, oh yeah, I deserve this. Or at, at the very least, I'm worthy of this. I have a hard time saying I deserve anything, but I can say, that I am worthy of mm. of many things, and to to those of you that are listening right now, that are nap shaming yourself, you are worthy of a nap. You are worthy of putting your fucking to do list aside and taking a bath, or watching a silly movie, or just laying back on your bed and staring at the ceiling. You know there, there's so I many things I take down every single day. Do you? Yeah, and With listen, the, any kind of salts or anything.
2: Yeah, I'll do like a, I don't do like an Epsom. I'll do I'll do like a I like a bath oil. Mm-hmm. Like I'm into moisturizing. I'm very like into moisturizing, and um, yeah, so I'll do like a. Um, there's an oil I like that's like a Hawaiian um, thing. You get it at Whole Foods. Um, I don't know if it would be everyone's favorite, but um, but like listener, okay, so I, I don't particularly like like myself or love myself uh, yet, and who knows if I ever will. But I'm giving myself that bath every day, so I feel like you can too. If I can do it with all my self-hatred, you can do it.
1: <laughs> Let's do some uh some fears and loves. Okay. Give me some give me some fears.
2: Okay. Fears. Having a panic attack while taking this podcast. Oh, sorry. Fears. Having a pad
1: ha- <laughs> <laughs> Now now you know how I feel yeah. when I do the intros to the uh to the to the show the intros and outros. Uh, yeah, I always do yeah. that. And then I just beat myself up. But but then I decide to leave it in because I want to set an example for other people that it's okay to to make mistakes. And I and I want to force myself to be comfortable with with my mistakes That's instead cool. of trying to be perfect.
0: That's good. It has helped
1: it has helped but it has been so uncomfortable because my fear of abandonment is so deep that I just always believe people are right on the edge of having enough of my shit.
2: Definitely. So you make an error. This is it. That's it. Done. Yeah. Over.
1: It's, a, it's Jenga. It's the last piece coming out of the it's Jenga the piece. pile. Yeah. 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 So go ahead.
2: Fears. Having a panic attack while taping this podcast and not being able to leave.
1: I, let me just tell you, if you had left midway through the podcast, I there is nothing that you could have told me that would have made me believe it wasn't about me. I would have been completely convinced that I had done something wrong, that I was a creep, that I, I had... Uh, you. We, we even experienced that in our emails. I know, I thought that, ch- that was very
2: endearing to me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, he's as crazy as I am. <laughs> um, no, well, and that's another thing too, I feel like... I mean, I've had so many panic attacks in therapist's office and I don't tell them because I'm like, oh, they're going to feel bad. They're going to feel like there's something wrong with them. It's like I'm like trying to protect the feelings that I know the other person is probably yes. having.
1: And no wonder you have panic attacks. Yeah, right. You're trying to protect your therapist. I, I mean, the irony of that is so. It's hard work. That is as meta as something gets. Yes. Yeah. Uh, give me another fear.
2: Um, that I'm being judged by a cosmic arbiter, and I'm evil or terrible, and the universe is just like you're awful, like fundamentally
0: <laughs> awful, yeah.
2: wrong.
1: Yes, just wrong. Wrong. Just don't. Why even put effort into it? No, because you're you're still going to a black hole of nothingness when this is over. So, you know, you might as well go ahead and rob and loot and not return your shopping cart.
2: Totally. Oh, yeah, I got really into, right before my book came out, I, the anxiety around that, I like, um, I stole a couple of lipsticks. I hadn't stolen anything since I was 18. But it was like, I didn't have any more drugs. I don't even have the boys now. So I was like, shoplifting? And I'm like, oh, God. Like, and then I was just like, stop it. Like, you cannot get it. It was like two lipsticks. But I was like, you yeah. can't. You and did can't. you
1: get a high from it when you, when oh, you took them? Oh, it was amazing. Talk about that.
2: It was so good. It was like, I was like getting something for nothing. You know, it was like the same way I feel about like when I eat my diet ice cream at the end of the night. It was Mm -hmm. like I was get like the it was the universe owes me something, you Mm -hmm. know, like the universe, the universe owes me something. You found like
1: like you found one of life's cheat codes.
2: Exactly. Like I can get something for nothing, you know, like same with like I can eat all this ice cream and like it won't do anything to me.
1: And especially if there's no effort involved. Those Those are the things that I like the most is what can I do? Where I don't have to leave my recliner and I will feel better. And hence, popcorn, protein bar, Netflix. Yep. Yeah. Chocolate brownie. Give me another one.
2: Suffocating and dying. That my hair has been destroyed either by the person who cuts it or by the colorist or some combination thereof. And it's simultaneously all my fault.
1: Uh, As you were talking, and I'm not just saying this five minutes ago, I was just thinking she has lovely hair and lovely skin.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, Every time I get my hair cut or colored or both, um, I'm immediately obsessed that it's ruined forever. Um, It's definitely ruined forever like not even just temporary forever and um and i like to I, I think i like to channel my fear of the abyss into like um my hair like some there's a connection there
1: it takes great effort and creativity to um channel really really superficial things into a, a death spiral that's Definitely. i mean that 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 takes some fortitude how does your husband handle your crazy
2: well luckily i have a lot of help like it's not just him and me so i think if he were to be bearing the brunt um which actually he did today because i was pms like one or two days a month i get like real crazy um like i'm definitely i'm like we're definitely getting a divorce and i look at him and i'm just like there's nothing you can do right like there's like there's nothing i find remotely like um uh how do i I don't know how to... There's there's nothing okay. There's nothing nothing right, you know? And And, are you,
1: at at that point, dividing shit up in your head?
2: Nah. I mean, I'm not dividing shit up. I'm just like... I'm sort of fantasizing about... um, I don't know, like, my single life and, like, 25-year-old boys. And, like... um, Like, I I sort of jump to after everything's been divided up. I got you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I don't... Because it's a fantasy. So I don't really feel like going through, like, the divorce. Mm -hmm. I want, like, what comes after the divorce. Like, my beautiful you know joyous single life but that's really only one or two days a month when my hormones are just like on and he knows those days now you know so he's like um but but in general i mean you know i'm probably a lot to handle i'm probably a lot to live with but um but i also do a lot of work and i'm like fairly self-aware so i can usually kind of you know i'm not putting it all on him
1: yeah and from from what i've uh Having talked to you a little bit about your life and what I've read in the book, it sounds like you've created a good support network around yourself with people in your fellowships and your support groups, and you're open to taking suggestions and directions and being of service to people. Which
2: Exactly. Um, and thank God for people who uh, need me. Uh, who are more thank God for people who are more fucked up than me oh. and we can always there's always someone more fucked up than us at any given point you know it doesn't mean they're gonna be more fucked up than us forever then you know a couple of days later we're gonna be more fucked up than them but there's always somebody more fucked up than us right now to help give
1: me uh give me another
2: fear okay sure um oh that this is all there is wow that's like yeah that's like a big one just like is that all there is? You know, that's like me on the beach. um, Younger, just like, like it, is this it?
1: And I don't think anything exacerbates that more than depression because everything's so muted. And yet when the depression lifts, I find joy in the smallest thing.
2: Totally. The
1: smallest thing.
2: And it really is so chemical. I mean, I think, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. And I just know from being like, you know, as a woman, like, hormonally, too, like, within a month, like, within the course of a month, like, I can go through, like, a lot of, like, um depressions and, and anxiety periods, like, um, you know, in during PMS time, and then, like, during my period, and then a few days after, even, but then, like, a week and a half later, like, I'm like, everything is beautiful, and it's, like, literally, like, you know, when, like, a couple of days before, I was like, everything is shit, so it's, um, and And that's hormone that's hormones and
1: you believe it every time
2: you believe it I mean I have like certain stop gaps now where I'm like okay like I look on my calendar and I'm like okay but I don't truly believe that like that's the culprit right and you don't when you when it's depression you're like but it can't be the depression or like it's intractable you know it's it's never I'm never getting out um any more fears I think that's pretty much it that we didn't cover on the interview let's do some loves okay loves um Eating calorie labeled portions alone, huddled in the dark like a rat—it's <laughs> like my favorite thing.
1: Fat is so fantastic. Um, I love when somebody makes a perfect pecan pie, and there's not too much of the filling, and it's the top like quarter inch is almost like chewy, like caramel.
2: That's so wholesome. Yeah. That's such like a nice love. Yeah. Um, intriguing romantically, emotionally, and or sexually online while pretending that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that.
1: That is, that is so great. That is so great. And I can't relate to that at all.
2: <laughs> um, hiding in the bathroom, tweeting at social events, <laughs> Nicorette gum, shoplifting lipstick, and my rescue dog pickle
1: pickle is fucking adorable Yeah,
2: pickles cute as hell
1: yeah pickle uh, has
2: a, a twitter account so sad to dog seriously yeah um that's how deep the obsession is that's how deep the love runs
1: if people uh want to follow you on twitter it's at so sad today um a website anything else? and you we'll put a link up to your book on amazon i can't i'm sure people know um that have uh listened to this episode Hearing you read excerpts, uh they know how good it is and how you it is um but I'll put a link up there to to make it easy for them to find it uh anything else that uh, you'd like to share with uh the the listeners about finding more about you
2: um my website's melissa dot com very cryptic, and um I also have a book of poems coming out this summer um called Last Sext.
1: I look forward to it. The uh,
2: lucrative field of poetry <laughs> where we make it rain.
1: I'm so glad that you responded uh, to, to coming on here. I'm so glad you, uh, you made time. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you. Many, many thanks to, uh, to Melissa. I get emails sometimes from people who uh, ask me to swear less. I'm going to guess they got about 15 minutes into uh, this episode and pulled the parachute. Uh, before I take it out with some surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show. If you feel so inclined, you can go to our website, metalpod.com and you can make a one-time PayPal donation or, my favorite, a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month. It uh, may not seem a lot to you, but it means the world to me, and it's the foundation that allows this podcast to continue. Um if you didn't do it, I wouldn't be able to do this. So, uh, I need you, and we always need, uh, more money. And, uh, if you could, if you could help out, that would be great. You can also support us financially. If you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through, uh, the search portal. We have all kinds of, uh, Amazon logos on our website. Just click on those, and that will, uh, Give us a little bit of uh, money if you buy something at Amazon, and uh, Amazon doesn't charge you anymore for uh, for buying through that. You can also help us non financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating. Um, that that helps, and spreading the word through social media. That uh, that also really helps. Tweeting about it, Facebook, um, and all the other shit that I'm too old to know is popular. <laughs> Let's get to some surveys. Uh, mostly, I think we got... Oh, shut up. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, Herbert, by the way, took a couple of trips on the monorail this week. Well, one, he's due back uh, next week. Uh, in addition to ringworm, they think he has a bacterial infection. And uh, yeah, 1200 bucks on Monday. This is filled out. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Nicholas. And he writes about his depression. Uh, Waking up to another gray day looking for this shining sun that people tell you exists. About his love addiction. The feeling of euphoria from someone giving you the love you can't give yourself. Thank you for that, Nicholas. Uh, Amy writes about her ADD. It's like, I feel like my brain is a broken machine with parts missing and I have, uh, I always have this vague sense of having forgotten something very important. About her anxiety, like I'm going to burst out of my skin if I don't die first. About her bulimia, it feels like emptiness and shame. Uh, She's also a sex crime victim and has PTSD. And a snapshot from her life, she writes, Sitting here desperately needing to shower to the point I stink, and yet I can't make myself go into the bathroom, take off my clothes, and shower. I don't understand why I'm scared to take a shower. I have a doctor's appointment later this afternoon, so I really have to take the shower. I tell myself, at 10 a.m., I will do it. Then 10 a.m. comes around. Okay, at 11 a.m., I will shower. I keep putting it off even though I know I will feel better after showering. I feel ashamed because being dirty is obviously not a good thing and I don't want to be dirty. I really do not. But I feel so fucking vulnerable in the shower. It terrifies me. Even with two deadbolts on the door and no good reason that anyone would come do anything to me, I'm so scared. Why? Thank you so much for for sharing that, Amy. And, you know, I think... I think just talk about it. Just find somebody to talk about it with and don't wait for the why. I think sometimes we think we need a why first before we can make any headway. But for me, a lot of times the why was the last part to come after opening up. That seems to be... uh, (laughs) Why is the caboose on the healing train? Oh my God, put a gun in your mouth. You fucking cheesy douchebag. This is filled out by Kate and she writes about her depression. Like happiness is pretending. Oh my God, do I relate to that? But her anxiety, like I'm a prisoner and the warden. About living with an abuser, he is disgusted by my weakness. About being an abuser, I am too. I take it out by yelling at and hitting my kids. And then a snapshot from her life. She writes, I've been seeing a therapist for about five months now. I just emailed her to tell her I'd like to start working on my past trauma to heal my inner child. Now I'm terrified to go in for my next appointment. Story of my life. And Kate, I just want to give you a high five for trying to break the cycle. You know? That is such a brave move on your part and I have the feeling that's going to help you not only in sticking up for yourself with this guy who is abusing you but in terms of how you take it out uh, on your kids and you can do it. You can do it. And Thank you for sharing that. Uh, this is filled out by Bernadette, and a snapshot from her life. She she deals with anorexia, and she writes today. I ended things with my boyfriend of a year because fat girls don't deserve to be loved, and you know that's not true. You know that's not true, but isn't it funny the shit our brain tells us? This is an awfulsome moment uh, for our new listeners. Uh, awful is something that was awful at the time, but is kind of awesomely funny in hindsight. Um, and, uh, Tristus writes, uh, when I was a kid, I found a box, uh, of, uh, full of toys under my mom's bed. Uh, and now I just realize, as an adult that the clown I played with was her vibrator. <laughs> what the hell kind of shaped vibrator was that? Um, mama's going to the rodeo. <laughs> This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Buttercup in college, about having borderline personality disorder. I'm terrified to push those I love away, but that's all my thoughts are consumed with. Thank you for that. Uh, Woman calling herself amnesiac or just processing, question mark. Uh, She writes about her dissociation. uh, Forgetting my friend's names, then forgetting my name and how to get home from wherever wherever I was doing whatever I was doing in this body that doesn't belong to me wondering when I'm going to wake up from this dream into the world I recognize snapshot from her life lately I'll suddenly be somewhere on public transportation not sure what I was doing before I got on the bus or where I was going it's like waking up suddenly not out of a dream but into one wow that is heavy that is heavy thank you for sharing that this is a, an email that I got from, um, she wants to be called Nurse Nikki, and she writes, um, I've been listening to your podcast from the inception and never felt compelled to write until I just finished listening to your episode with Officer uh, Kevin Briggs. Uh, I saw the documentary The Bridge and am awed by what he's seen, done, and how he's healed his soul. He has continued to He has saved countless lives, no doubt, when you consider how in helping someone out of that awful situation, he saved their future children, family, and friends. My opinion of the documentary is slightly different. Uh, If I remember right, it was filmed and created to bring awareness necessary to raise money to build a barrier-slash-net on the Golden Gate to save lives. Uh, As a nurse working in a Level 1 trauma ICU, I've taken care of so many patients who have jumped suffered self-inflicted gunshot wounds, overdosed, and on and on. I can really identify with Officer Briggs. Nurses learn to read eyes. We have to in order to keep the empathy necessary to serve our patients best. But it exacts a heavy toll as we internalize the pain. We can't avoid reading suffering eyes on the street. At its best, it mends our souls. At its worst, it produces depressed, anxious, substance-abusing nurses and doctors. We develop a wicked sense of humor because we have to. We don't often enough reach out to really process what we've seen with a therapist, other nurses, etc. Police officers and firefighters bear the brunt of the same burden. I've suffered depression since I was 14 years old. i fought for the next 33 years to survive. I've committed to therapy, read American Transcendentalist writers, ran, done yoga, meditated, and been brave enough to show who I truly am to the world. I am no longer ashamed of my struggles, as I now, uh, as I realize now that we all struggle, as we all were born fighting gravity. It's human. I'd rather feel pain now than nothing at all. As a 19-year-old girl, I nearly succeeded in overdosing. I'm so grateful I didn't. And so are we, Nikki. So are we. It's so good to have people like you on the front lines. I mean, you are on the front lines, and. Um, just thank you. Thank you. This is filled out by Sonic Cat, who writes about his anxiety. I'm sorry. You want me to think about sex while we're having sex and not the 30 things I need to do before I go to bed? Thanks for that. Um, this is filled out by Oh Hey Dare. And um, she is addicted to piercings. And she writes, um, Slowly becoming addicted... Addicted to piercings and other body modifications, money limitations being the only thing stopping me from getting more, more, more. uh, And then in parentheses, and employment. Four new piercings in the past month isn't too many, right? Question. Excuse me? Question mark. Snapshot from her life. Uh, She runs a lot. I'm just going to. condenses a little bit. Uh, She runs a lot, trains a lot, um, and she has a running partner who is her dog, and on one of the runs, her dog got uh, attacked by another dog and is healing. And she writes, the anxiety overtook me, and I wasn't able to even complete a quarter of what the training run was supposed to be before heading back home to sit on the couch and eat Chinese food with my dog, who was stuck between the couch and the coffee table in her giant cone of shame upon my arrival. Then, feeling like a big lazy slob when I'm supposed to be evolving into a slick athlete and breaking down, crying, not knowing how I'm going to be able to leave her for 10 hours while I'm at work tomorrow. Not having enough vacation and sick days to be home with her. Worrying if something goes wrong, I won't have money to fix her because the stitches were already $600 and I spent over $300 in new body modifications this past month alone. Then, start thinking about my excitement for my first suspension in september hanging from hooks through your skin and wondering if i'm doing it for healthy reasons meditative love the way piercing and tattoos feel and look or health or unhealthy love the pain of healing because it's a a distraction distracts me from bad body image i constantly struggle with finding new forms of forced food restriction through tongue and lip piercings so i cuddle up to my dog who was my rock and is now broken know that this will pass and wish time away Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Chandelier Bing and about his, uh, he's a teenager, about his depression. He writes, I feel like I'm constantly trying to color myself while I am drowning in bleach. Boy, do I get that one and then snapshot from his life. Every single negative emotion has been beating in me for so long that I now feel nothing. I am technically going through a breakup, but I feel nothing. My grades are slipping. Everyone else I know is doing so much better, but I feel nothing. I just turned 19. My friends threw a really nice celebration for me and told me how much they all love me, but I feel nothing. Who would have thought nothingness could feel so heavy? I know that feeling, buddy. I know that feeling. Just keep opening up. Or start opening up if you haven't yet. Because a lot of times I think that numbness is just a protection from something that's much scarier underneath it. That was the case with me. And he uh, identifies himself as demisexual, which I assume means that he is only in love with Demi Lovato. I could be wrong. I'll have to research that. That might have been the dumbest joke I've ever done. Um this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself gimme shelter about being a sex crime victim I think I stay fat on purpose so I won't have to be intimate with my husband the last time I was in great shape someone punished me for it oh that breaks my heart about our anger issues, I have no patience with my kids. I freak out and yell, then apologize and tell them how much I love them ten minutes later. They just look confused and sad. It breaks my heart. Some days I feel like I wasn't meant to be a mom, but I love them so fucking much. I'm stuck now. Seriously. I think sometimes mom love, moms love their kids so much they almost resent them for it. Uh, I'm just speaking from a female perspective, not implying that dads don't feel the same. Thank you, thank you for uh, both you and the other mom who who shared about um, you know um, hurting hurting your kids and feeling sorry for it. Um, I don't know what it's like to be a parent, so I can't imagine how stressful that's got to be. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by <laughs> a woman who calls herself. This is causing me anxiety, and she writes. Uh, I've been seeing a therapist for a little over a year now for a generalized anxiety disorder, mild depression, and dealing with sexual trauma I experienced as a child. My therapist suggested an anxiety disorder workbook, uh, she can't remember the name of it, that I could read uh read over or do some of the exercises at home since we only meet twice a month. The first time uh, I try to read the introductory chapter sitting on the couch with my boyfriend, I start crying silently because I'm reading all about this disorder I have and all I can think is, why can't I just be normal? Why do I have to deal with this? And just feeling generally overwhelmed. My boyfriend realizes I'm crying and I try to shakily explain what I'm feeling i feel weak and i just know he's going to see that weakness in me instead of responding how i assume he will because i always assume everyone is judging me as harshly as i judge myself he takes the book and begins reading it aloud with me we read through the first chapter and get to the exercises and he even does the exercises with me answering the questions about himself and really opening up it seems like such a small moment but it meant so much to me to see that someone loves me unconditionally and is by my side for real and for good and ready to take on my struggles with me. That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I, hope, I hope you heard something in today's episode that helped you feel less alone. That reminded you that you're not a freak. And if you're hurting, you're feeling alone, you're afraid to ask for help, so are the rest of us. So are the rest of us. And um I've yet to hear of anybody um who consistently sought help and didn't benefit from it. I've not. I've not met and I've met thousands of people. Um so If you're feeling alone, just know that you're not. You are not alone. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.